Jack Black teaches rock. Sandra Bullock defies defying gravity. And Walter White says goodbye this week on 30 2010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a little audio journey 30, 20, and 10 years ago, telling all the cool movies, TV shows, video games, music, and more that came out three within three decades. A window we define as a week, this week being September 29th through October 5th. We'll tell you all the cool stuff that came out in 1993, 2003, and 2013. And once again, for the fourth week in a row, it's a lot. And even the little stuff I want to go to bat for super hard in some of these segments because, man, it's great. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman. And for this week, we have actual classic films. I I don't even have to go to bat for them. They're yeah. the actual classics, including one. Ever since we hit the threes, I've been waiting to hear JR's opinion in particular about one of the movies we're talking about. All right. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah, I think he has okay. very relevant experience. I'm very curious now. No idea. You, uh, was JR on yes, a Jamaican is... bobsled team too? What has this man not done? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I am JR Rawls, and for relaxing times, make it Suntory times. <laughs> a ring a ding ding. <laughs> that whiskey is really I'm good. I get what you're referring <laughs> to. <laughs> right. You're whiskey drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. God, it's going to be another big one this week. Let's start out with a little bit of news. By little bit, I mean a lot. Uh, a lot of news, things that happened 30 years ago. Just to wet your whistle for the world of 1993, September 29th through October 5th. Oh, we patreon.com slash time. Not only do we have brand new season starting right now of uh, Elm Street Nightmare featuring Evil Dead, the whole series for the month of October. Please enjoy a six-part retrospective on that. It, it's, it's timely for an 80s in-depth, but like... The week Chevy Chase is making headlines, we recorded an episode <laughs> on vacation. Chevy Chase doesn't make the headlines, not even annually, but all he had to do was shit on community, and the whole world went. Shows how little people remember the good things about Chevy Chase that all like there was a one hour interview and four sentences on not liking community is what made the news. Wow. Yeah. I, I listened to that WTF episode, and it's like he is one of the hardest interviews mm-hmm. there is. He doesn't want to talk. He yeah. didn't want to tell you nothing. It's I don't remember. a bad talk show host. He even like, said, like, what was I supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know how to do a talk show. Like, we know. We noticed <laughs> 30 years ago. There's a Eastern European saying that goes something like, don't ruin your obituary. And that's when you've done most <laughs> of the giant big things you're going to do in your life, but you are so desperate to make more future news that you kind of ruin all the good stuff you did earlier on. Oh, Thank God. Mm. I, I don't even have a good obituary yet. I can't. <laughs> I got nowhere to go but middle. Good for me. Let's get on with 302010. 30 years ago, 1993, September 29th through October 5th. Welcome to, ooh, it's the latter half of Halloween season. But that will have nothing to do with anything in the news because it's all pretty serious and dire. Uh, the Battle of Mokadishu. I'm... Oh, uh, yeah. Is, is starting uh, in an attempt to capture officials of warlord Mohamed Farah Adid's organization in Mogadishu, Somalia. 18 U.S. Army Rangers and about 1,000 Somalis are killed in heavy fighting. It's the Black Hawk Down incident. Ah, yes. Yeah. Now I recognize um, it. Yeah. So you, you've seen the movie. 
uh, you bought the novelization. Uh, it's fucking terrible. It's uh, the most American soldiers killed in a battle since Vietnam. 18? Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck was all that uh, Benghazi shit then? Did really less than eighteen? All right. Anyway, well, this so, is not yes, and this, this is, is also nineteen ninety three. Yeah. What what other wars have we had? I know. I mean, I'm just astonished. Gulf War One and what, Panama and Grenada and these these little guys and it's like oh shit, real ass fighting and it's goddamn terrible. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, this- horrible, horrible, horrible for everybody. This had such negative repercussions. This is arguably the pro-starvation side won. You know, there was an effort to get food to people, and the people who didn't want that happen defeated and won, and foreign aid got pulled out. As a result, we were very willing to let a bunch of places in Africa starve. Yeah, Yay. and just get involved when there's something with factions we don't understand fighting like Rwanda we became very gun shy of ever so briefly just the Clinton administration of fucking around in other countries Bush would bring the passion back but uh yeah this fucking blows they called our reluctance to intervene in Rwanda the Somalia syndrome because of this event yeah Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. but uh speaking of intervention Ah, Boris Yeltsin declares state of emergency in Moscow. Uh, troops and tanks of uh, Yeltsin shell the ocu- uh, and, and occupy the Russian White House in Moscow. Uh, the White House, the House of Government of the Russian Federation. Jesus Christ, did I not understand any of this? And even less when I read it. Yeah, yeah. So the the president is at war. Basically, the president is at war with Congress over writing a new constitution. Uh, the president wants more powers. Obviously, the Congress wants him to have less. They have kind of a small, almost civil war, and uh, the army ends up siding with the president, and <laughs> there is a siege on the fucking Congress. Well, it, it's like that old joke, why does treason never prosper? Because when it prospers, none call it treason. This is Yeltsin doing a coup. He is using the violence that he has as the army at his back to force political change when that is against the written laws he's arguing under. Mm -hmm. But luckily Russia never has problems with a uh, future president doing anything (laughs) like that. Oh, Yeltsin seems so cuddly compared to uncle P. And then the thing I do remember, because I saw it recently in a documentary, the church of Scientology is granted tax exempt status by the IRS after it had been previously revoked. And if you haven't seen the documentary going clear, that is like, The Paul Ryan, I've just given billionaires a health, <laughs> a, an infinite tax cuts, I quit moments. They're just like, the cel- they celebrated more for this than anything filmed with Scientology. Yeah. 2,500 lawsuits. Yeah. That's how many lawsuits the Church of Scientology filed against the IRS. It was a 37-year effort. It, without exaggeration, involved blackmail, burglary, Criminal conspiracy, mm-hmm. eavesdropping, espionage, falsification of records, fraud, front groups, harassments, all that stuff. You can make a case that this is like the biggest civilian uh, spy network in American history. They infiltrated the FBI and the IRS with Scientologists specifically to spy on them. It is because they wanted that tax exempt status because they are a business yes. and paying taxes is less money for you holy shit can you yeah a hundred hundreds of millions of dollar organization all of a sudden is now tax exempt and 
it's just astonishing. And in light of the Danny Masterson case, if you haven't mm. read about Scientology is very much involved with the cover up of that entire thing. And at the very, very least, like, I feel like if the government's not going to intervene in any way other than maybe pay taxes if you're going to intimidate rape victims, maybe. No, probably not. Yeah. Uh, I, I think all religious organizations should just pay taxes. The reason they don't is because of the First Amendment and saying that, like, you know, it's not the government's job to regulate religion, which is true. And that's why they should just be treated as businesses. Yeah. What's the difference? More people spend time with Fox News and ESPN than most church organizations. What's the fucking difference? Guys, <laughs> every- you're not in that world. More I people know, go to church every Sunday than watch the Super Bowl in America. That can't yep. be. I mean, to like Google clean it. it. No. <laughs> nah. Dude, any- you live in the South. Come on. No, I, still, I don't know any. Yeah, it's just not my world. Uh, yeah. and, and But speaking of income inequality, I want to bring up a little bit of news. 30 years ago, Forbes' richest people. Number one, baby. Can you anybody guess? 1993. Gates? Close. Warren Buffet? Mm. Warren, <laughs> Warren yeah. Buffett followed behind, two billion behind by Bill Gates, John Klug, Summer Remstone, yada, yada, yada. But tallying up what they have, speaking of income inequality, Elon Musk has eight times the top five richest people of 30 <laughs> years ago or sorry his worth and i know money isn't real but if it was that's fucked up <laughs> that's wildly <laughs> fucked up and none of it is getting taxed so we're sending out just think of money as pizza and nobody's getting any but one guy <laughs> more than you could ever eat <laughs> holy shit holy shit and then just because i watched a documentary recently 30 years ago and i only know this from watching snl that is when Hillary Clinton started peddling around the Clinton healthcare proposal, which oh, was no. so shat upon in my first instance, like, wow, the the right and even a lot of Democrats hate the idea of spending money on healthcare for people a lot. And it's defeated and <laughs> it's it, everyone is brutal. To, it's just one of the most like sexist tell this lady to shut up. She wasn't elected. And like, she's still on the task force, man. You don't tell the first lady to shut up over well, fitness programs. Anytime you have someone with a huge amount of influence, but not any technical power, people don't like that at all. They don't mm-hmm. like the idea that this is someone who can influence, but, you know, they're not actually powerful. That just frigs people out. Oh. Come on. And I mean, let's think about Michelle Obama saying maybe kids should eat more vegetables. Yeah, that's true. I'm killing you, you bitch. They're trying yeah. to make hamburgers illegal, just like Joe Biden. Uh, uh, it's all so yeah. wonderful. This is a great country. Great. <sighs> <sighs> Moving on to lighter fare, which is movies. Uh, movies of 1993, 29th of September through October 5th. Fire on the Amazon with Sandra Bullock. Let's see if she can become a coast-to-coast 30-2010 champion. Craig Schaefer and Juan Hernandez. This is about uh, like a crusading journalist who's trying to show that, oh, they're burning down the Amazon, and uh, he gets in trouble, and Sandra Bullock is there to help. Yeah, it sounds like she hated making this movie. Mm. Um, It's directed by the guy who directed Anaconda. Oh, fantastic film. There's a South Park episode called Rainforest Shmame Forest. Mm -hmm. And I think that South Park episode was ripping this specific movie off. Mm. That's an early episode. Um, That's ones they don't even air anymore. And probably the the movie I want to go to the bat for the most part this week, period. Yes. It it is not my favorite movie, but every time I see it, I feel like it should be. Look, if I told you there was a movie with Randy Quaid, Bobcat Goldthwait, 
Bill and Ted, <laughs> Mr. T. What the fuck? Where Brooke Shields? Where's this movie? It's the bad guy from Die Hard Two slash Death himself. Freaked. <laughs> Freaked is an unbelievably great film that was brutal. This is funny. Sort of by Rupert Murdoch. Once he, ac- he acquired Fox and started replacing Chairman, they look at this. Alex Winter, the guy who plays, I always get confused here, either Bill or Ted. Yeah. <laughs> it's Bill. Uh, yeah. was, like, was getting acting gigs in the 80s to support his filmmaker dreams. And there are many great articles of like how him and his partner, Tom Stearns, won the showbiz lottery and they're just given $15 million, including multiple million dollars for themselves, to make the comedy movie they've always wanted to make. And then leadership changes at Fox. We hate this. We're cutting the rest of your post-production budget, your soundtrack, your advertising. And by the way, you'll premiere in two theaters and your movie will be buried. It is a buried film that got discovered kind of on HBO because it yes. it is in a very hard PG-13 land. And it is like the exact style of comedy I wanted to see at the time I saw it. And I wish it would have been more influential. We would have had a lot, a lot better movies if the world had seen yeah. Freaked. I yeah. yeah I I agree. This actually minorly blew up on Blue Sky a couple of weeks ago really? because someone was talking about showing their teenager freaked for the first time and how it like <laughs> really really connected. And they were like, I I'm so shocked that this movie exists. And Alex Winter was like, Yay, thumbs up. And a bunch of other people are being like, Yeah, this was something I caught it halfway through on HBO when I was a kid because yeah. it just ran all the time. Never forget it. And I was like, What the crap is this? I love it because it's about. Guys who uh, are, wait, no, he's he's a child actor who's been hired to promote a toxic Pest- chemical. Side. Yes. Right. Yes, Pesticide. you know, the thing that always happens when you are right. launching a major <laughs> agricultural chemical, you get a child star to promote it in South America. Right. But also, <laughs> we'll then, do like, this. he ends up with a, a sideshow of freaks. It turns out, like, they were all made freaks by the pesticide. <laughs> It is, it is so what uh, surreal weird. and wonderful as a comedy. There's almost nothing else like it for years. And yeah, I, I was trying to think of what to compare it to. And most of the things I was comparing it to are things that don't end up succeeding quite as well, mm-hmm. like like a death to Smoochie, where it's just like, much of the time I'm like, what the hell is going on? I, uh, but that's like, it doesn't work. This is like the version that works because it's also bigger and cartoonier and crazier. Yeah, it's still, it's, so, it, it gets the rug pulled out from under, but you can still see the money spent and the time mm. spent on it. It is very well done. There's a I lot of makeup effects. The, I watched this for the first time. Where? I was blown away by the effects, by the humor. This should have been Baby JR's yeah. favorite film of the year it should have been just like oh my god this is so weird so crazy i'm gonna quote it from now on and i deeply deeply regret that i have not been able to quote the following line at every business meeting i have been in for the last 30 years because it's this line is said as they're ending a business presentation bill if i could just add one thing those who dare oppose us will stand knee deep in the blood of their children William Sadler for the win so if that makes you laugh this is absolutely a movie you should find your pot smoking friends DVD copy of uh, because because it's one of the most expensive DVDs I had it had a 
beautiful two disc special edition come out like a couple decades ago and it has since gone out of print and is worth over three hundred dollars because Lord. wow the amount of people who love this might be small but there's not a lot of great ways to see i'm curious how jr saw it if it was even legal my pot smoking friend yes me his copy yeah like this <laughs> this is now a disney movie and i don't know what they would do with it oh yeah i don't know this is way too culty and weird for them i just yeah, I can't see them. But you know what? You know ever what? Even acknowledging that this exists and, and finding out like that this was the, the same folks that did the Idiot Box, which was Alex Winter's mm-hmm. uh, sketch show that was very short lived. But I remember it. I always that was a double feature. I would watch all the time: Liquid Television and Idiot Box right after it. And it was such a very bizarre sketch show, and that they took that that weirdness and general anarchy and made an entire movie out of it. And you don't end up being like, well, this is going on way too long. Because it keeps moving. Like, there's something weird happening every 10 seconds. So you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, a, sure. you, you that see... guy's got a sock puppet for a head. That makes sense. And you see, you... <laughs> but then it's revealed that he doesn't have a sock puppet for a head. He just has a hand for a head. Yes. And the crowd is furious at this. <laughs> they are like, you frauded us. You're a hand for a head, not a sock puppet for a head. Now, th- that's that's why I love, truly love the movie because the movie, if I had to describe it as anything, it is animated. It's live action, but it operates like a cartoon with cartoon logic the entire time. Mm. Nobody, nobody can die unless it's violent and silly. Uh, it's just a beautiful film. Please watch Freaked any way you can, and it's not going to be easy. Hard pivots <laughs> to <laughs> Ian Richardson, John Lone, Jeremy Irons, and M. Butterfly. <sighs> uh, this is an adaptation of the play, which is an adaptation based on a real-life story. Mr. Butterfly. This, no. Oh. This diplomat in China or Hong Kong. Um, Mrs. Butterfly. This, this Yes, who has this long affair with Mrs. Butterfly. <laughs> and um, who turns out to not be born a woman. I did not know that was hotline to this and, at all. I just do yeah. with the helicopter on stage. Or am I no. thinking something else? No, that's Miss Saigon. There we go. Which is also based on on Madam Butterfly, <laughs> vaguely. But uh, yeah, this is someone who like plays Madam Butterfly. She plays Madam Butterfly, and so everyone thinks that she was born a woman. But uh, no, and yeah, they have like this whole affair, and uh, Jeremy Irons never catches on. And it is an affair for dir- decades. Okay, yeah. listeners, yeah. this is based on a true story. And allegedly, this guy said, yes, I dated her for decades, but I never knew. Okay, now, I'm sorry. I got to come in here with Occam's razor. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was lying. Mm. Maybe he didn't want to say that he was having sex with a person with a penis. And Mm. so he said he never knew. Could that be a thing someone in the 1960s might have done if they were a French diplomat? Mm, yeah no more questions please <laughs> or just uh we do it with all the lights off and keep your hands to yourself and uh, yes and famously, we also share a bathroom i have to leave <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah there's there's all kinds of reasons but uh i mean it's directed by david cronenberg and even he was like this is work for hire and i didn't kind of didn't care and didn't really put in the effort mm. which is a bummer because he's david cronenberg and he rules so, yeah, everyone was sort of like, eh, it's okay. I no. tried watching it. I got a half an hour in. I was like, this isn't that interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and our next movie, interesting for the wrong reasons. Yes, uh, Gabrielle Anwar. And in the file of Michael J. Fox movies, if you have, I know I've gone off on this before. I watch Back to the Future, the Back to the Future trilogy twice a year and just ball and clap and laugh my eyes out and just so glad it exists. Christopher Lloyd is in other stuff, and I've, I always think none of Michael J. Fox's other work might survive another generation. And this is also no. his worst period of films. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, he, he, as an actor, is pretty much only going to be remembered for Back to the Future. Family Ties is not in the rotation of anyone these days, no matter what their mm. age. And yep. his other sitcoms, Spin City and whatnot, are just not as beloved and still referenced or anything like right. that. So kids aren't going to watch them like they yeah. sometimes watch Friends. I like and Secret to My Success his... and Doc, a little bit of Doc Hollywood, but I just don't know if that's going to make it. And dude was yeah. a huge well, movie star. Yeah, well, this, I mean, this was a failure at the time and it, it, there's nothing really to reclaim. It's I'm surprised it's directed by Barry Sonnenfeld yeah. who's coming off Adam's Family. It's in between Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values. What yeah. an odd choice. And it's about like he's a hotel concierge and he dreams of running his own hotel and he's trying to get money from this rich guy. And so he's supposed to like keep tabs on the rich guy's mistress. The thing that makes this like even worse in retrospect is watching still the Michael J. Fox documentary. He points out this is at a period where he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's. He is in treatment for Parkinson's. The treatment is not going well. He's he's not being they, 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 the drugs aren't working quite right. They haven't found the right balance and stuff. So he has kind of limited time where he is on mm. and his hands are shaking for a lot of it. And he pointed out, they show a bunch of clips like I never have nothing in my hand in this entire movie huh. because I have to keep doing business or else you'll see that I'm shaking. Huh. And I was like, well, uh, that made this way too sad for me to watch. It makes yeah. it more recommendable than... <laughs> watching it for yeah, I, I do recommend it. I, if you yeah. like light, happy, romantic comedies. Um, so this was actually one of a girlfriend I had. It was one of her top three movies of what? all times. And wow. this was like a geeky, geeky, geeky gal. But she loved this movie and how it was all about Michael J. Fox just wanting to make people happy and spread happiness into the world and how there are many jobs that you can just look at, at it as a paycheck and nothing more. But if you have the attitude of, I am bringing joy to the world in this job in some way, you can get value from what you do beyond just your paycheck. It meant a lot hmm. to her. And uh, if you try to watch it in that frame of mind, I think there's some good things here. Okay. Interesting. Because it's right. a good peek behind what it's like to work in a hotel, too. I just wish there mm. were more of that. It should have. If this was made today, they would focus a lot more on the inside baseball stuff. Back in 1993, mm. I don't feel like they were as willing to like do deep dives into niche professions. I, yeah, I don't. Mm. Get, every time I stay in a hotel, is there anything we can do for you, sir? Uh, charge me less and treat me like I'm in my house and leave me the fuck alone. I don't need anything from you at all. Like, stop asking me. Dress down a little bit. This is embarrassing for both of us. That's true. <laughs> hotel concierges, I'm sure, have seen some shit. Yep. They have been asked some shit. <laughs> they have had to do some shit. Where's the place I can get drugs? Where can yeah. I get prostitutes? Mm -hmm. I guarantee yeah. you they are asked that once a week, if not Oh, more. yeah. Yeah. Where can I get uranium at 3 a.m.? Tell me. Yeah. Uh, a movie I think is a classic for me. Um, yes, I think this movie absolutely is a classic. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Lilo Brancato yeah. 
Robert De Niro in his directorial debut and starring in the film, and Chaz Palminteri in the part he created for stage, it's A Bronx Tale. Is it better to be loved or feared? I would rather be feared, because fear lasts longer than love. In a neighborhood ruled by violence, a devoted father must battle the local crime boss for the life of his son. Sonny, trust me, he'll hurt you like anybody. People don't respect him, they fear him. You're gonna go fight me? You stay away from my son! Robert De Niro, A Bronx Tale. Rated R. Yeah, so you you remember that last that uh, opening ten minutes of Goodfellas? But ever since I can remember, I wanted to be a gangster. What if that was a whole ass movie with Robert De Niro? Yeah, that's what a Bronx Tale is, well, and I love it barely because I think he got involved because like obviously I'll be playing the Chaz Palminteri part, and he refused. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's playing this part in my story, the story I wrote, but me. Yeah, and he was adamant it's, about it. Yeah, it's based on his childhood. And it, he did it as a one-man show. Yeah, he's playing all these different parts, and it's it's a one-man show that they find they blow up to a movie. But well, does it have a, Robert De Niro being the first-time director? There are a couple scenes where it's like, well, that's just Goodfellas again. But you're mm. allowed because you were there in the original. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel quite so bad if you're going to go through the bar and introduce us to to all the gangsters, you know, with their little nicknames. Okay, I know it's we've been here, but it was only a couple years ago. So give give a man a chance. Right. And he but, was he wasn't more yeah. embedded in Goodfellas than any fan of Goodfellas ever could be. Yeah. It's not the you same don't fan. get to complain. But gosh, I mean the performances are all around. Like it feels so lived in and realistic. It gets into, you know, racism, which, you know, most pop movies they'll have a very tiny allusion to like hiring a black guy for this or saying something horribly racist. And just the idea of like, yeah, there's also in poor neighborhoods, people get very factionalized and there becomes sort of this intersectarian violence. And, you know, he's he, a cute black girl and he wants to get to know her. And everyone's like, you can't. Absolutely, you cannot. And he's like, but why? They're like, you can't. And if you're if and, you were wondering why that's yeah. a plot line and De Niro has such a small part, know that he directed this and you know who he dates. So he <laughs> personal story you wanted to bring to the <laughs> yeah, screen. This is true. He that's appreciates true. it. Fine woman of color. Oh, uh, do we want to talk about what happened to Lilo Brancato Jr., though? Matthew Bebelacqua, as JR would know him? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of the bigger, would you say, criminals? Like, uh, up-and-coming star who kind of took yeah. a real hard pivot in his life. Yeah, but he had a long-time problem with drugs. Like, he was doing drugs back then when he was 17. And lots and lots of problems and ended up. Well, he didn't shoot the off-duty cop, but mm. he was standing next to the guy that did. Yeah. And uh, he went to prison for a while. Oh, he's out of prison. He says he's clean. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure he was out because yeah. he was in there for like manslaughter or accessory to murder or some shit. Like he was, yeah. he was in there for a yeah. while. But it's also been a while. Yeah, it was like uh, right after a yeah. Sopranos episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in this film, I think he's a perfectly good actor. I think he plays the yeah. role. Kind of believe him. This scene, this is definitely a pre-Sopranos gangster film mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm we see the boss as being like a guardian angel. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing we do is get a glimpse of his dark side is when he thinks a bomb got planted on his car via the protagonist. And then he goes heavy and the protagonist just crumples and starts crying. I mean, cause yeah. it's a choice. They decided to only show how organized crime looks to a young, poor kid 
interested in that lifestyle. No Everything out. we see is through his eyes. We never see yep. any interactions where these guys are shaking down a working stiff or breaking thumbs of people or anything like that. It's just all this like, ooh, isn't this a good lifestyle? Yeah, but the, the glamour and the pride and the, you know, the, the respect. And yeah, meanwhile, Robert De Niro <laughs> plays his dad who's a bus driver who's like, that shit will kill you. It's better, yes, to be a working stiff and, and <laughs> driving a bus. And uh, no, I'm not going to take money on the side. No, I'm not going to do stuff. One time a week you get steak and that's your big treat. And then you get yeah. nosebleed seats and your son is like, well, there's my gangster friend up there at the boxing ring uh, next to his boxer. But we got nosebleed seats. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, can they both be right? Can they both be wrong? Yeah. Can the system be exploiting a good, honest working man? Yeah, of course it fucking can. You know who else is exploiting them? Gangsters. And uh, just a personal, I grandfather didn't talk a lot about it, but he's, you know, growing up in Little Italy during this period. And he's, mm. as what I remember, was really terrified of the Bronx. Uh, mm. Someone constantly dodging trouble as a, as a kid trying to run a straight path, like, really was terrified of the Bronx. I don't know if that was just in the <laughs> 90s or in this period, but uh, only mentioned a couple of times, but I don't think I've ever been there because of his, like, oh, man, oh, man, you don't... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, those houses are only worth $1.5 million yeah. today as opposed yeah. to the $2.5 yeah, million. There are a couple of millionaire antistas I don't know very well somewhere in Little Italy sitting on a massive brownstone unbelievable but this film i watched it back in 1993 in theaters and i don't think i've seen it since oh, really? and yet mm. two parts of it have stuck with me for about 30 years the i hope first, it's the one though there's one that keeps coming up on social media i hope it's the same one i think mm -hmm. it is it's called the door test yes it is mm -hmm. before i watched this film i had not ever dated a girl yes and pretty too. soon we're going to be talking about my very first real date and the movie I went How do to, I research to take that? her to. <laughs> <laughs> but on that date, I was like debating with myself whether I would do this. And then you give her the test. What, the Mario test? Mario, Mario's a fucking psycho. What do you listen to this kid for? You give her my test, you give her the door test. What's the door test? All right, listen to me. You pull her right where she is, right? Before you get out of the car, you lock both doors. Then you get out of the car, you walk over to her. You bring her over to the car. You take out the key. Put in the lock, open the door for her. Then you let her get in. Then you close the door for her. Then you walk around the back of the car and you look through the rear window. If she doesn't reach over, lift up that button so you can get in, dump her. Just like that? Listen to me, kid. If she doesn't reach over, lift up that button so you can get in, that means she's a selfish broad and all you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. You dump her. You dump her. <laughs> I don't know that that's what it means, <laughs> but it is nice to look for a measure of thoughtfulness and kindness from a partner. Yeah. And it's now, the scene still appeals to people, and I've seen they've edited his yeah. commentary over the scene where his girl eventually does it. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. Now the door test doesn't work very well no. anymore, obviously because automatic locks. But also, mm. this back when the front row of a car was one long bench seat, so it was really easy yeah. to scoot over and unlock the door. So in bucket seats, it's a lot harder. And yes, I do do that, though. I but generally have you like ever unlocked doors for people? Have you ever used this test on someone consciously? No, I have used a, a variation, which is generally how are they treating waiters? Ah, yeah, that's the solid. Yeah, waiters, baristas, people who take your order somewhere. Do I hear please and thank you? If I didn't hear please and thank you, yeah, we're done. 
Indeed. And uh, yeah, Chris I, ever done I the like test? No, I don't have any tests like that. Anybody willing to date me gets like a total grace period of doing whatever they want. <laughs> I, I did try it when I was a teenager. The other thing I learned from this movie is about loaning money to quote unquote yeah. friends. Let it go. We have another mm. quote. Go. I'm going to go to Gino's. I'll be right back. All right, let's eat. Stop that. Come on. This guy, Louis Dumps over here, you know, he owes me $20. It's been two weeks now, and every time he sees me, he keeps dodging me. Yeah. He's becoming a real pain in the ass. I mean, should I crack him one or what? What's the matter with you? What have I been telling you? Sometimes hurting somebody ain't the answer. First of all, is he a good friend of yours? Nah, I don't even like him. You don't even like him? Well, there's your answer right there. Look at it this way. Cost you twenty dollars to get rid of him, right? He's never going to bother you again. He's never going to ask you for money again. He's out of your life for twenty dollars. You got off cheap. Forget it. You're always right. You're always. Well, wish it worked that way in the <laughs> podcast game. Our advertisers never paid us. Like, uh, uh, burn a bridge or let it go. What do you do? Anyway, yeah, Bronx yeah. Tale yeah. is a way, way strong recommend for me. But you know, I love gangster movies, Italian American. But you guys. Don't you, you know? It's, I'm sure you, you like this yeah. movie as well. I rewatched oh, yeah. it. Mm -hmm. It's a mild recommend for me. It's oh, not as it. good as I remember it, but it's okay. I thought it definitely glamorized the mob too much for my liking. Yeah, does it though? I mean, spoiler alert: you end up at a mob funeral at the end, and how many people there seem relieved that he's dead? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. like he had no one in his life. But yeah, the whole glamorous mob lifestyle thing kind of doesn't make much sense for me when you see them like spending all day sitting on their ass in dirty, dingy restaurants. And it's like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Wish I could be in a dirty, dusty restaurant. Well, you kind of. can. I mean, if you're a successful car salesman, <laughs> you can spend a lot of time right. in dirty, dingy restaurants without yeah. the threat of being shot. The Beef O'Brady's count? <laughs> How is that? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. It's a silly little chain that I guess doesn't yeah. exist for you guys are. Speaking of uh, not holding up as well as you wanted to, <laughs> a movie I uh, didn't understand yeah. the love for at the time. No? No. See, I understand the love at the time, um, but boy, it paints with the world's broadest brush. And I was worried yes. like, all right, there's going to be jokes in here that are not going to be exactly PC 30 years later. And yeah, yeah, yeah. but... I still charmed that shit out of me. God damn All right. it. Malik Yoba, Yoba, Dougie Doug, Leon Robinson, and John Candy in Cool Runnings. From Walt Disney Pictures, four Jamaicans are determined to become Olympic bobsledders. And who are you? A Jamaican bobsledder. <laughs> now, with a little training. Hold up. And a lot of practice. They might just do the impossible. Go down. Go down. Oh, thanks, Coach. I am feeling very Olympic today. Cool Runnings, inspired by the true story. I, I gotta go. You know, hold it, hold it, hold it. Rated PG. A <laughs> John Turtletop film. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, we talked about back in 88 how, yes, the Jamaican bobsled team, mm. which is not the only bobsled team from a very hot climate, but the, everyone was very charmed by them when they appeared in the 88 Winter Olympics of, like, how why what and they did uh not great but they they did okay they i mean they did last and they crashed yeah <laughs> and... they, they did better than i would if you just like yeah. hey you get three three True. people together and go bobsledding here you have like two weeks to practice and they go to the okay. olympics you know? okay. let, let me say everything that this movie gets historically right there was a jamaican bobsled team 
<laughs> yes. John Candy that's, was that's a human. It. And that's yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and there uh, have because, been since then. Yeah. And there have been yeah. plenty. There, there, and their two-man team apparently has done very well. I mean, not like metal, but, but did better than Americans did. Hmm. But the original one from 1988 was universally welcomed by the bobsledding community. And they loaned them a sled when they didn't have a sled. And they got along with everyone, and everyone was really happy to have them in the sport because it got publicity mm -hmm. to a sport that never gets publicity. It's yeah. like because there was a Jamaican team, people were watching the bobsled event for the first time yeah I mean, now, now the luge is the big yeah. loser air that at 4 a.m bobsled team gets broadcast <laughs> live this time yeah yeah so it makes sense that you take the basic premise of a bobsled team from somewhere where they don't have bobsleds and yeah make a pretty basic sports movie out of it <laughs> or, um, or a bad Chappelle show sketch yeah or bad Chappelle <laughs> shows, but i mean I think it's funny that originally they wanted Kurt Russell in the role of the coach who has, you know, been disgraced because he cheated, which is fun because he ends up playing the coach in Miracle, another Disney film, uh, you know, years and years later. But John Candy, in his last performance before he passes away right. as a former athlete, <laughs> and it's not really a th like, yeah. Oh, poor John. It, he's this makes me very. He's sad. not dead yet, and he, he'll release other no. movies, but he dies after no, this, this movie. This is the last one that was released during his lifetime. Okay, the last one he sees the yeah. release of. Yeah, Ugh. but it's like hard to get mad at him because he's goddamn John Candy, and he's so affable and like nice, and you really feel like he's just trying to give these guys a chance, and you know, you get your, your basic sports movie thing of like you know this doesn't work and then this doesn't work. And then there's going to be a point where like everyone fights and separates and then they get back together for the big gig or game or whatever. And See, you know, it's got a nice ending. It where the ending isn't like, and then they came in last or, and then they won the gold, you know, they, they find a nice balanced ending that is closer to reality of like, yeah, it, it's, it's a moral victory. Yeah. Yay. I, I do want to say, I really don't think John Candy is your typical white savior like you see in these films. You know, No, thank God. He doesn't go in and save anything, and they're using him as much as he's using them, and he makes problems for them, you know? Yeah. It's an interesting role. Completely fake. 100% fake. Nothing in any basis in reality like much of this movie, but an enjoyable little time to spend on it I, uh watched it with yeah. my kids they had no nostalgia for it i had no nostalgia for it everyone was happier at the end of watching it than they were when th we started watching it. wow that is okay. that there is like the most non-complimentary recommend i've ever heard but what else can you ask for from a film <laughs> yeah. everyone's happier when they walk out i, I feel like this one for the the bar is really low for what i would consider an acceptable version of this story and it surpasses that so and it, it, it crowns dougie doug like the champion <laughs> of live action disney movies no one remembers <laughs> i do want to throw this out there i think this is the most popular jamaican film of all time whoa <laughs> don't whoa. no harder Wait. they come oh no that is not known to anyone but you diana i see uh, in all of jamaica and all it was Jamaica. popular at the time. Worldwide okay, it's more popular popularity. as a, it's more popular as a soundtrack album than it was ever a movie. I'll give you that one. It did. It had a fucking song, a popular song off the soundtrack. It was a cover song. I can't remember what it was. Big Mountain, I think, was the band's name. But yeah, it was played all the time. I'm looking but at a list in of, a film 
about Jamaican protagonist. Yeah, no. Name one that's bigger than this. I mean, because, yeah, you have scenes shot there like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the scene I bet they wish they could erase. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Doctor No, but that's not about Jamaicans. Um, no. Yeah. yeah I, I, there, There's definitely, you know, a movie out there where it's like we filmed on the beaches of Jamaica for tax reasons. And yeah, it's bigger. <laughs> but has Jamaican protagonist about Jamaicans going through a journey this is the biggest there ever has been. Yeah, it's probably yeah. F- just barely beating out Club Paradise, but Jesus, that's the best oh to think God. about. Yeah, no, I think this one going into it was really like, okay, I don't have nostalgia for Cool Runnings either, but it's like, I, I know people think it's cute, but it's a very slight little comedy. How does, does, does it end up working in the end? And I was, I, I thought it, would go in, it was going to be even dumber than I thought it was in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> and uh. it was like, no, it was charming as hell. It could use some more actual Jamaicans in it, I think. It does have some, but not a lot. But if you, but, yeah, like if you remember my conversation on the sitcom Where I Live, Dougie Doug was bringing dreads into the world. I, it was like the first time I saw it in media. Who else are you going to cast? Yes, I I did not really like any cool running. So cute. Go. Mm. Okay, moving on Yo. to the number one movie at the box office. Kind of the, one of the I more... I can't believe this yeah. number one. It's... Of all the movies we can talk about that hit number one, this might be the most forgotten of 1993. Uh, George C. Scott, Peter Gallagher, B.B. Newworth, Anne Bancroft, Bill Pullman, Nicole Kidman, and Alec Baldwin. It is Malice. I have an M.D. from Harvard. I am board certified in cardiothoracic medicine. I have been awarded citations from seven different medical boards. When someone goes into that chapel and they pray to God that their wife doesn't miscarry or that their daughter doesn't bleed to death, who do you think they're praying to? You ask me if I have a God complex? I am God. <laughs> Malice, rated R. <laughs> that's a hell of a that's a hell of a TV spot. Jesus Christ! Yeah, that that last part of that TV spot is everything that anyone remembers about this movie. <laughs> that's all anyone remembers. They only yeah. remember that one sentence, and everything else about this movie is just forgotten and thrown away. I mean, yeah, is that not the case with most people in A Few Good Men from the same writer? Mm, I, we just watched it, but most people don't remember anything but the you can't handle the truth scene. They don't know yeah, why they're in they the courtroom and what they're doing. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, Aaron Serkin joint with the polish by Scott Frank. So two, two fucking great writers writing one of the weirdest thrillers. <laughs> like, uh, who is it? One of uh, the critics, I don't remember if it was Ebert or who was with some... Uh, Oh, yeah. Roger Ebert said, uh, this is the only movie I can recall that has an entire subplot about a serial killer that's thrown in simply for atmosphere. <laughs> yes. This should be called Red Herring the movie mm. because everything is Red Herring. There's so much weird shit going on. It turns out Red Herring's everywhere. Uh, so, okay. Nicole Kidman and Bill Pullman are a newlywed couple and they live in uh, a house that they're restoring and they meet this surgeon played by Alec Baldwin and he like moves in with them and they're being friends. And then she has, uh, excuse me, an ovarian cyst like rupture and she has to go into surgery. Uh, and Alec Baldwin does the surgery and he watches it. She says, and then they're suing and counter suing and something weird is going on. Also. Yeah. There's a fucking serial killer running around this college campus. Could, could it be Alec Baldwin? Could it be Bill Pullman? Could it be someone else? In t- Who fucking knows? What does this have to do with anything? (laughs) 
It's all red herrings. I love it. It's red herrings all the way down. It's crazy. It's so weird. It is. It is this close to being a parody of an of a thriller because <laughs> it gets so weird. I know Aaron Sorkin does not like the work added to the film, which I imagine yeah. probably was a bit more coherent in the original form. Yeah, but that those ads of yeah, just his monologue while being deposed about the surgery and whether or not he botched it. That that is absolutely this film's enduring legacy. Enough that it carried on to Thirty Rock. There you go. That's why the only reason I recognized it because I didn't right. not when see it, this the scene movie. where where uh, yeah Jack Kennedy goes to confession. I'm divorced. I take the Lord's name in vain often and with great relish. I hit my mother with a car, possibly by accident. I almost let him choke to death right there on the football field. I look the other way when my wig-based parent company turned a bunch of children orange. I once claimed I am God during a deposition. <laughs> Good old Jack. Oh, we're so out happy. of 30 Rock to talk about, so let us have it. So then moving on to television of 1993. Oh, boy. Grace Under Fire debuts on ABC. And, man, I don't, Here I don't we go. know that I saw something this successful implode seemingly this quickly because I for some reason I was watching this every week and really liked it but just because it it's was Roseanne 2.0 it is if you yeah exactly we're we're in the period of does that stand-up comic have a defined persona well now they have a sitcom yeah Brett Butler with, Roseanne has worked with Tim Allen let's keep going Brett Butler's Grace and Her Fire and I mean I only I'm only remembering now the E! True Hollywood story she is creating so much trouble like we just need to get to a hundred episodes, five seasons, and then we can get syndicated. So let her do, let her keep getting away with it. And like, they just pulled the plug, but like, like a couple episodes before syndication, just because we cannot handle this. This is too rot. Grace. I mean, I think this is the difference between 1993's morality Mm -hmm. and Tiger Blood, Charlie Sheen. Because they were willing to put up with this a lot longer than they were willing to put up with Charlie. And they put up with Charlie for a while, but, this is like people are seeing it in the tabloids, but it's not reaching their Facebook feeds every single day. That's so true. they're just trying to wait it out and it just kept not working. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She just had major addiction and uh, mental illness problems, mostly fed by the addiction. And they just sort of like, yeah, but if we cancel the show, a lot of people lose jobs. So but showrunners we can are drag this over the finish line. Left and right. Also yeah, created by <laughs> Chuck, Chuck Lorre. There he is. This is his very first success. We just talked about Two and a Half Men. Yep. Yeah, so straight. Because uh, yeah, even that, well, that, that Lethal Weapon show, the recent Lethal Weapon show, like the league got out of line, like, you're fucking fired, dude. We're firing the yeah. lead of our show, <laughs> like uh, the, our successful show, a season in. Yeah, yep. it wouldn't happen nowadays, uh, which yeah, makes and, it more uh, notorious. She did not keep any money. Apparently, she's broke today. And mm-hmm. if you look at some of those celebrities, you're like, wow, they're that age? She's kind of like that, but not in the direction you want. She was a little older than I think most sitcom stars would have been at the time, or so it felt. She had a older. Yeah, she was thirty-five. Thirty-five. Okay. Well, I, I yeah. mean, it, it. She just had an old gait to her, but that she was a bitter, a bitter mm-hmm. old Southern woman. So maybe it was that was part of it. But it was also I wasn't huge into stand-up, but I'd never heard of this person and only saw her stand-up oh, afterwards. I had. And then yeah. after the show was done, I never saw her stand up ever again. I don't think she went back to it. Yeah. Or I don't know that she went she, back to know. it in any meaningful way. Or maybe she burned a bridge there. I don't know. Didn't have the kind of... Uh, as far as I can tell, she's the only 
actor I know of uh, who was kind of a big name who then had a GoFundMe because she's so broke. Really? Really. I did not know that. Poor Brett Butler. Wow. Uh, Have I plugged Patreon.com slash LazerTime? Also on ABC This Week, Joe's Life. Stop it. That's too specific a name. People won't understand. Joe's Life. Uh, So it's a guy gets unemployed and has to do the domestic thing. Oh, Men, oh, men no. Oh. He has Ooh. to take care of children, but that's not what men do. Look at him. The baby needs to be fed, but he's walking the cat. He can't figure it out. Joe. Uh. Joe. Come on. Bah. I don't remember this at all, but I do remember very, very much the Larry Sanders show, New York or L.A., and I don't know why you have this clip highlight, but is this the debut of Jerry, Larry's agent? I just like seeing Larry's agent. Me I too. enjoy him. It's why that show was like a godsend for comedy nerds. Like, it's that guy from the Ben Stiller show. Nobody knows yet, or even me. (laughs) And he's going to go on to basically define my taste in comedy and drama for the next 30 years. (laughs) Larry's agent is played by. Let's see if you can get it from this clip. All right. Now, listen, you said I had other options. What are they? And I talked to Ted Hart Uh over at ABC. Uh They would kill their grandmothers to have you over there. That is complimentary. (laughs) How does this sound? The new Larry Sanders show after Nightline. Unfortunately, that's the actual title they want to use. But but it would be my show. I could do whatever I wanted. No one would tinker with it. Good. Great. Anything's better than staying here and getting fucked. Great. Perfect. They also want you to do the show from New York. All right. But I And that's the conflict. He has to decide is he gonna move to New York or stay in LA with a producer who's gonna change everything or not. And in the end, he decides to retire to Montana. And it's, his whole shtick is no flipping. And he says at the end, flip. feel free to flip now. Um, it's such a weird finale because it's undone immediately in the, the yeah. first episode of the next season. But I do love Odenkirk here because he is so fucking young compared to like how ubiquitous he's become. Because he's supposed to represent a young 20-something smarmy agent. And inadvertently... There's a lot of Saul DNA in that, from the color of his suits to his swagger. There, it, there's a lot of Saul Goodman in this character. Several times in contract disputes, he would use the, I have an offer to go on after Nightline anytime I want. He would reference it. I, this is how much I've watched. God damn it. Hilarious. Speaking of talk shows, the Chevy Chase show ends. It feels like we just talked about this. We just <laughs> talked about this. I blinked. And we were talking about how weird that first episode was. And this is referenced on and on for the rest of the year. But my favorite reference is by our good friend, Troy McClure. Alien nose job and five fabulous weeks of the Chevy Chase show. (laughs) That's almost an overstatement. It's Mm. barely five weeks. Oh, yeah, Chevy Chase show is over. <sighs> Tired. I've kicked the man enough this episode. Why don't we move on to The Deuce, ESPN secondary channel. It <laughs> debuts. I have never seen a second of it until the Sklar Brothers got a Mystery Science Theater 3000 show for sports, which was fun, mm-hmm. and then got the Mystery Science guys on the show to comment yep. over the Mystery Science show and threaten lawsuits. The uh, Deuce. I, the only thing I can think of is freaking dodgeball. Yeah, well, the Ocho. When when the, yeah. when this started, when ESPN two started, they were like, "We're gonna try to format our thing towards younger viewers, and we're gonna do the hip, cool yeah. sports that the young kids enjoy." It did have like a and Surge then, logo. 
1993 is pretty early for them to be like, we're going to have a second channel that's just more of this, but different. Like, no one was doing that. We didn't have an HBO 2 yet. We didn't have a FXX. I'm trying to remember the thing I was watching about getting on ABC's Wide World of Sports. It would make or break a sporting event. There were plenty of sporting events that wanted to televise, that would fall over themselves to be televised on a channel. They were begging. Unlike a lot of other channels that get a 2, people were begging for an ESPN, too. Not necessarily the viewers, but the people who broadcast such things. There's a lot of sports in the world. There's a lot of sports. Yeah. People like watching sports. It fills the hours, and you're always going to get someone who's going to go, fuck it, I'm drunk. I'll watch Vincent. I was watching that cheap seat show from the Sklar Brothers. It was like an international breaking competition. Just break this stuff with your head or fist. That's what it was. (laughs) There was no internet to stream this on and laugh at it. Here was ESPN2 for you. Yeah. No, I, I would watch occasionally late night you know, as a high school or college student, because it, there'd be like weird international sports. Mm-hmm. Like I've never seen highlight before or, Oh, what is the one? There's a Thai sport pack, something that's basically volleyball with your feet. Jesus. It's amazing. They spike, they jump up like three feet in the air and spike and bicycle kick a, oh, and bicycle kick and spike a ball. It's not even like a ball. It's like, it's like a wicker ball, but it's a volleyball net. It's, you know, four or five feet up in the air. It's, yeah, I was like, what's on ESPN2? I'd never seen that shit before. Okay. Against the Grain debuts on NBC? I had never heard of this. I am fascinated now because this is a sports drama about football players in a small West Texas school where football is everything. Does this sound familiar to you? It fucking should. It's based on the Friday Night Lights book. Uh, and it stars. This is based on the book? Based on the book. Wow. Before there was Friday Night Lights, the movie, and Friday Night Lights, the show, there's Friday Night Lights, the nonfiction book. This is loosely inspired by that. And the football star is played by the little boy that no one liked called Ben Affleck. <laughs> it promptly died. No one watched it. Yes. But Friday Night Lights, guys, put that on your DVD sets. I want to see that as a special feature, just like whatever 11, 12 episodes there was of Against the Grain, and, which does uh, not tell me it's about football. I think it's going to be about farming or sanding. <laughs> And uh, more important to me, JR, and Diana, the fifth season of The Simpsons debuts, Homer's Barbershop Quartet. I think kind of a watershed episode in that The Simpsons will now be able to get away with a lot more. (laughs) Were they a chart-topping band that has not been mentioned in 100 hours? Sure. (laughs) It's a cartoon. (laughs) Of course it is. Yeah, this, I think, for one thing, it's my favorite flashback episode of all time. Mm -hmm. Really? Really? There's no Artie Ziff or anything. It would damage the town to make that statement. (laughs) (laughs) The jokes are on fire beginning to end. The Beatles cameo is amazing. It was a a, a great vessel to make fun of the music industry. The entire, they'd done it in, you know, snippets, but this is a whole episode of that. And I like crazy Mm -hmm. uh, Simpsons land. You know, I know some fans are like, ah, it's, it's really good when it's realistic in the first couple of seasons when they're trying to just be, well, no, I'm fine if Bart gets a screen door factory, you know? Uh, that's what's realistic fine. about Whacking Day, <laughs> Marge yeah. going to jail? Uh, Marge versus the monorail. Yeah, well, you there's know. nothing realistic about that either. So what? what's the harm? Yeah, uh, honestly, as, as a Beatles fan who knows Beatles lore even 30 years ago, this, God, this made me happy. Like, who's going to ever... 
people ever make references to revolution number nine no no they do not and i hope everyone who has watched get back now i could realize appreciate how authentic so many of these little details are down to like what they're wearing and i think graining and much, much of the staff are massive beatles fans and their job was to get every surviving beetle on it would take a long time to complete that cycle yeah. but they did mm-hmm. what'd you I hear heard and i was not able to get confirmation of this but i heard that yoko ono exhibited a single plum floating in perfume <laughs> served in a man's hat oh here's a picture she did it she yeah. did it Perfect. the Reykjavik art museum <laughs> so i, I love anytime things are defictionalized from the simpsons like someone actually made Tamako, the mad genius. <laughs> it, it will kill you if you ate it, by the way. But he made it. Uh, and now the single plum floating perfume served in a man's hat was done by Yoko Ono. So bravo, sir. And the, the line, Madam. oh, it's a Grammy, was like the first time, like, this isn't prestigious? And then, like, <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons told me it wasn't. And then uh, we got some some heat on this in the Facebook, the Tales from the Crypt cartoon, the episode Death of, a, Death of Some Salesman Airs with Tim Curry as everybody. Is it the yep. cartoon or is it the, the live cart- action? This is the live action. Oh, the live action one. Sorry. I, nice. I was mistaken. God, that show... Halloween season is upon us, and there are a few things more fun than Tales from the Crypt. I used to be mad at it for how silly it was, and now it is just welcome. Why not have the directorial debut of Arnold Schwarzenegger on Tales from the Crypt? Please watch the show. (laughs) And then even bigger news for things I like, Saturday Night Live, Norm MacDonald's first episode as a cast member is this week. I, I love the early 90s, but I'm amazed at how short my mid-90s SNL dream team of Adam Sandler, Norm MacDonald are because they're, they're not going to be around. And Mike and Myers. Dana, Dana Carvey with them. Like that was short-lived mm-hmm. where they were all crossing over. Yeah, that was such a great time. And we're, we're never going to get to this specific skit, but it is my all-time favorite Norm MacDonald SNL skit. It is the most Norm MacDonald skit, I think. He's not plugged into it. He clearly wrote this and cast himself. Rough. Cause we're the Cobras So you better look out Singing gang, 50s New York What? How do you come up with a song so fast? I don't know, just, just came to me, what about Just came to you, it was perfect, it was like you rehearsed it or something Oh, thank you Okay, look, here's this what we're sucks. Gonna... This sucks because... No, no, just oh. a little more, please. You go hey, over hey, 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 what? Did you really like it? What? The song. Did I really like it? Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Hey, hey, I like another song, too, you know? You know this one? It's called, uh, While You Were Singing, I Got Stabbed in the Head by a Puerto Rican. <laughs> <laughs> so, take a drink. I was in Guys and Dolls, and we <laughs> referenced that line all the goddamn time. <laughs> And gotta, it's perfect, Norm. It's his. It, no one else could deliver like Norm could deliver. And I, it makes me so he, sad he'd never got like his own sketch show. The, he didn't write that many sketches, and he's seeing that as like the one. I think you should leave character would just be endlessly entertaining to me. Hey, 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 hey! He <laughs> he is my favorite weekend updater of all time. Yeah, of all time. Oh, oh, then light plug for you, uh, Jim Downey's on Conan O'Brien's podcast this week and that was the only other co-writer on that weekend update and in addition nice. to all the other things jim downey did for snl 
And then moving on to games of 1993. Oh, one more thing from that SNL. We have Adam Sandler debuting The Denise Show, which this is one of those characters where I just wish he had brought him back for that reunion show when he came back to SNL after like 25 years and he brought back a lot of his old characters. I wish we could have seen what this character is doing uh, with Denise in the internet era. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Denise Show. Uh, As you know... uh, Denise is the girl who broke up with me five weeks ago. It wasn't that big a deal. She ripped open my chest and pulled out my heart. But it's fine, it's fine. Everything's okay. So uh, let's move on with the show. Looks like we got a phone call. Hello? Brian, how you holding up, man? I'm okay. All right, hang in there, buddy. You the man. Thanks. I am the man. I say that all the time. I forgot it was the man. I am the man. But this character, the Denise character, is like the seed of so many future Adam Sandler characters. Yeah. Yeah. Is the- this the one? I want to say this is the one that made P.T. Anderson want to make Punch Drunk love with him. Wow. It's, po- it's there possible. Was, yeah. There, I, there was something where this came up where it was like, yeah. They decided, oh, yeah, we can we can gamble on Adam Sandler because I like what he did in this sketch. And uh, I, this is Shannon Doherty as the host, because I like whenever they recreated the Denise show, they'd still use her picture. So she was always Denise. <laughs> and uh, that means this is the anniversary of the Salem Bitch Trials, too. Burn the bitch! <laughs> 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 she got a new horse caught and wouldn't let anybody ride in it. Uh, okay, we got to move on. Show's already too long. 1993. Is this the debut of the 3DO? Oh, my God. What? Yes. 3DO. Panasonic 3DO. <laughs> Diana, CD-ROMs were all the, oh, oh, i got to wake up, host the show. American, like, CD interactive game systems, there were three or four. They were all awful and $700. Yuck. Um, Mm. Didn't take off. We talked about too many of their games last week for a video game apocalypse episode of Mortal Kombat ripoffs. Oh, we're going to play this commercial for 3DO? we got to play this commercial. I don't this remember. This was all the rage on the schoolyard. What time will my daughter be home? The passive type probably plays Nintendo. What time will my daughter be home? Somewhere between 10 and 2. The aggressive type probably plays Sega. What time will my daughter be home? You want her back? And the other type definitely yeah! plays 3DO, the most advanced home gaming system in the world. Kidnapping your daughter with my 3D Izzo. Uh, this era of marketing might be my favorite, but Phil Hartman's CDI burn cycle commercials. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Those are the best. And then finally, Zombie Ate My Neighbors comes out on Super Nintendo. A great, so LucasArts, yeah, the last, ep- the last level is in LucasArts beat up the developers this was (laughs) such an amazing game this Mm -hmm. i was the world's biggest lucas arts fan at the time i read adventure magazine and when i found out they were making a game for the super nintendo i was all in it is such a love letter to horror in general because you are fighting jason you are fighting chucky you are fighting zombies you Mm -hmm. are fighting uh giant 50 foot babies you know and that baby level, that, that <laughs> baby level is just still burned into my brain. But this is the last game I can remember playing with my good friend, Zach, growing up. We I... were childhood friends. We played together all the time. My parents got divorced, so they didn't start seeing his parents as often. And when that happened, we were like a 30-minute drive away, so our friendship kind of just faded. Yeah. And... 
this is the last time I can really recall playing with him. And you know, that's I think I'm sorry for your experience of video games. Lost JR, really but I'm giving important. giving Zombie at my neighbor's credit. It was a very interesting single screen co op game. And while there were other co op games, none were like this wasn't difficult. You could play this forever with like just about anybody. And I don't love it, but I did notice the friends I had that do all have brothers. This is a good brother <laughs> game. Good brother yeah. game. You're absolutely wrong. This game is so freaking hard because I <laughs> bought the the re-release for the Switch and I played it with my son and he is not used to Nintendo hard at all. Mm. We got up to the chainsaw level where all the Jasons are coming off of us and we died a couple of times and it sent us back to level one. So we have to fight four levels to get to level five. And he was just like, no, no good, <laughs> sir. You are violating the social contract with this BS. Should've How saved dare you make me replay four levels to get to the one level I mean, that killed me. Yeah, you can take my souls yeah. in a game, but I'm not playing through four levels again. Unless I'm yeah. grinding. But I love the parodies of this. Level names, Diana. Mm -hmm. Mars needs cheerleaders. Seven <laughs> meals for seven zombies. Nice. Terror Nightmare on Terror Street, Dances with Werewolf, Look Who's Coming to Dinner. And it's <laughs> and it's a, <clears throat> a 1950s riff, and, and it's a Western-developed, good Western-developed game, so it could have, humor is always pretty hard to translate, uh, localized, yeah. so. Wait, yeah. is Look Who's Coming to Dinner the giant baby? I yes. don't, yeah. Nice! <laughs> hey. All right, let's get into like music, it. 1993, but September 29th through October 5th. Dream Lover by Mariah Carey, still number one. We have new releases from Water by Saigon Kick, Real by Belinda Carlisle, Chaos AD by Sepultura, 13 by Teenage Fan Club, Wolverine Blues by Entombed, Elegant Slumming by M People, Anodyne by Uncle Tupelo, The Body Hat Summer by Digital Underground, Gentlemen by The Afghan Wigs, and the best album of the year, Alapalooza by Weird Al, featuring Frank's 2000-inch TV. Yeah, I was going to give you the choice if you wanted to do Jurassic oh, Park, the MacArthur Park parody, or Frank's 2000-inch TV, which is a pretty dead balls on rem riff i think i think it's the best that's the one i prefer i think it's the best original weird al song that exists Ooh, frank's 2000 yeah it's up there. fight me it's up there at me because hey. i will not be there so yeah close out with frank's 2000 inch tv i rarely choose this so let's enjoy it as we go to break but when we get back stay tuned we got to talk about i think what will end up being jack black's back to the future stay right there and i'm mighty Coming into 2003 with Baby Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul. It is number one, Baby Boy. Um, it's going to be number one for so long. I forgot how huge a hit this was. Yeah. I just, just full on forgot. As if the movie oh never God. existed. Boo. Yeah, I like the movie. Um, new, other new music releases for the week of 
September 29th through October 1st in 2003 include Reflections by Apocalypta, See If I Care by Gary Allen, My Baby Don't Tolerate by Lyle Lovett, Money Money 2020, great name, easy to say, uh, by The Network, A Green Day Side Project, Martina by Martina McBride, Life for Rent by Dido, Lead Us in Non in Temptation by David Byrne, Confession by El Nino, a self-titled album by Billy Currington, Bette Midler Sings the Rosemary Clooney Songbook by Bette Midler, Weird. 33 by uh, Luis Miguel and Sacred Love by Sting. Welcome to 2003, 20 years ago, the middle segment of 30 2010. Roy Horn this week in the news of Siegfried and Roy fame is attacked by one of the show tigers canceling the show for good. This got the show canceled for good. Uh, it was, he got it fucked up. It was horrible. I mean, they released video footage of it. Yeah. yeah. If you really want that in your brain, listeners, oh, it's not I, that hard to find Isn't it the case he was not attacked? He slipped, and the tiger thought he was falling. So, like a tiger would do with its cub, it grabbed him by the throat and picked that's, him up and moved him around. That's one <laughs> that's interpretation. What Roy says mm. happened. Other animal behaviors, like no, because it, it wasn't hitting its mark. It was misbehaving, mm-hmm. and they were like getting it back on its mark, and then he tripped over its leg. So, yeah, it might have taken that as a threat because they were already yeah. like. Bad tiger. Did anybody and go to this? They, like, wh- how was the audience protected from any of dude, this? Dude, there's like 10,000 people in the audience. Jesus. Siegfried and Roy's show was massive. I know, but w- what's I, the barrier from the, the tigers coming out to get the audience? Not training, much. Training mainly. Jesus yeah. Christ. That's what it looks like. I've seen footage. It didn't look like there was well, even a fence there. Maybe a pit or a moat. Nope. So I remember seeing the show and being blown away. Just like, oh my gosh, I am seeing actual practitioners of witchcraft who have made a soul soul swap <laughs> with Satan because there's no way human beings can do this show. But the tigers were always the draw. It was always this cool exoticism. And they really did love these tigers. As he was being pulled away to the hospital, you know, after having his throat ripped, he stated, Manticore is a great cat. Make sure no harm comes to Manticore. That's that's a ballsy thing to say about the cat who just mauled you. near yeah, Just ripped your jugular open. Almost got his carotid bleeding like crazy he was in the hospital for months he had a stroke through all of this it it was horrible i mean the fact that nothing happened over something like thirty thousand shows they had done over their career Mm. that that this is the first time something like this happened is kind of amazing but also like it doesn't sound like there was a huge protocol ready for if something this bad happened like the stagehands started spraying the the tiger with a fire extinguisher to try to get it off him because that's all they had. And when that didn't work, they started hitting him with the fire extinguisher, which I'm not in favor of hitting animals, but no, in that case, yeah, no, I understand. It would start clocking it. I mean, if a scaring it away. Yeah. Cat is actively eating someone. There's always the (sighs) zombie situation. Uh, And also in the news, very lightly rush Limbaugh fired from football. (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh while he's being investigated for drugs which yeah. he said all people who well, use should be should die and be given the harshest penalty well yeah it's because he wanted there to no, not be any referees they should deregulate football and just let the free market decide who wins because <laughs> uh-huh. i'm bashing republicans this episode i forgot about arnold schwarzenegger's 11 female accusers um of inappropriate mm-hmm. touching while he's winning the gubernator 
dictatorial ship. Mm. That's how you say it, right? He's about to become governor of California. Um, mm. No wonder. Uh, never mind. Movies of 2003, September 29th through October 5th. Man, it is a fun, fun week. Except for Polly Shore. Two classics. <laughs> two classics. <laughs> two classics. Polly Shore is dead is not one of them. And I just remember, like, at this point, I was like, man, I don't hate Polly Shore. Let's see what he's got to offer. A movie about his own death. What a novel idea. Bunch of celebrity friends can't wait. This movie sucks. <laughs> Aww, I, I'm very disappointed to hear that. This is one that I didn't get around to. And then when I read the synopsis, I'm like, oh, damn it. This sounds like a really good idea. No, it's you not know, clever Shore... as much as it's poorly made. Oh, that's a shame. Because, yeah, the idea that Polly Shore is, you know, playing himself, that he's broke, he lives at his mom's house, and he realized, like, if people think I'm dead, they will reappraise my work and everyone will go out and buy Encino Man and then I'll have money again. Which, I mean, that's brilliant. That's a great idea for a movie. To his credit, for a movie, a young movie star, it doesn't seem to have a bunch of shitty allegations against him. I believe he saved his money and uh, has a pretty good attitude about everything and being a being a punchline or being funny again. Uh, don't hate the Polly Shore. I don't. The movie looks like it was made for a buck fifty. Yes, it's very 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 cheap. Also out this week, Shelley Cole, Lori Petty, Dre D'Amato, Gina Gershon in Pray for Rock and Roll. Pray with an E. Yeah. Pray yeah. It's, uh, it's a, about a girl rock band that's just been dragging along being a girl rock band for an awful long time. Joan Jett was a advisor on it. And then I, she said she didn't get paid and she sued. Oh. Uh, I always side with Joan Jett on everything. But it's pretty cool. Um, I did not get a chance to rewatch it. I watched it at the time. Gina Gershon does all her own singing. And she's oh, really good. Right. Uh, Drea DiMatteo. From Sopranos is a lot of fun of like, yeah, you can imagine these were ladies working, you know, the stage in bars for a long time. Maybe they had a heyday and it's gone and they're just, they're just you know. And she announced this week, to- JR, not an OnlyFans, not a GoFundMe, but an OnlyFans. You can go see oh. <laughs> Adriana's OnlyFans this week. Oh. Mm. But, but yeah, just, you know, the, the rock and roll lifestyle and do you, at one point do you just give up and just be like, God damn it. Can I like not reek a beer and cigarettes tomorrow? <laughs> just once in my life. No, man. It's about rock and roll. We're a, that's a theme this episode. A theme, I tell you. Yes, indeed. This does not fit into that theme. Tara Sloan, Sean Sullivan, George Jarsky. Is that from 30 Rock? Uh, Kristen <laughs> Booth and Ryan Reynolds in full proof. File this under Canadian film that doesn't know what to do with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Mm. But another one is like, I kind of like the idea that it's friends where it's like their little like private joke game is like coming up with ways to rob a place and then someone steals their plans and does it and then blackmails them. Mm. That's a fun idea. I think most people, if they know this movie at all, they know from a couple of years ago, Mint Mobile put out ads saying they were going to start That's a streaming right. service. Yeah, only- and this was the only movie that they had. <laughs> <laughs> it was just foolproof, but it had like... There were a bunch of movies, but they were just different stills from Foolproof. They all just showed you Foolproof if you clicked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, much more notable movie territory. Yeah. Oh, what can you say about the cast other than these two people? Well, Giovanni Urbisi is in there. Uh, yeah. Scarlett Johansson. Oh, Anna Faris. Anna I feel Ferris, like no right. one gives Anna Faris credit. She is so fucking good in this. Right. And uh, I feel bad for Cameron Diaz. And <laughs> Scarlett Johansson <laughs> and Bill Murray in Lost in Translation. Mr. Bob Hollis! He died. 
doesn't fit in. With the intensity. That's all he said. So he may as well stand out. You really are having a midlife crisis. On September 12th, get ready. Lick my stocking. What? Get set. <laughs> and get lost in one of the fall's most original films. I'm trying to organize a prison break. It's electrifying. I'm in. Lost in translation. Rated R. <laughs> what a great film. All right. So, JR, you have the floor. Tell us yeah. about culture shock in Japan. It's really huge, yo. I love Japanese culture. I wanted to move to Japan. The first like weekend I was Japan, I cried by myself outside of a bar going, "What the fuck did I do? Did I make the right decision in coming here? Holy cow." It is a very different culture with its own different ethics, and there's so much beauty and wonder in it, but it's also very strange for any first-timer. And that was after I'd prepped for it. It's the, it's the most just, foreign, foreign country I've ever been to. Yeah, that's, that's it's definitely the most foreign first-world country. You could mm-hmm. probably go to some right. uh, very undeveloped areas Mogadishu. and be like, I have time-traveled yeah. back <laughs> a thousand years. <laughs> but... Japan is definitely the strangest technologically fully developed country on the planet, without a doubt. And this film captures it perfectly. This film is such a love letter to alienation and disconnection because both the characters, Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson, are experienced that for completely different reasons. And it is so rare to find a serious drama that tugs at your heart while being this funny because there are so many great humorous moments in this touching moving story about two people both just wanting to be seen at a time neither one thinks anyone is seeing them for who they really are Mm. yeah i think that's the the thing that is pretty magical about lost in translation is it visualizes things that are very hard to film depression alienation culture shock not quite knowing who you are anymore trying to figure out who you are like these are abstract concepts they're kind of hard to put on screen and yet they do it with showing and not telling so much of the time yeah i've and here's the weird thing it's like i went i I lived in a country that is the second closest thing to America you can get to America. Well, third closest. Yeah, yeah. Canada would be next, then the UK. I lived in the UK for a year. And I got culture shock really hard. And you would think, what are you talking about? Like, why would you get culture shock? It's pretty fucking similar. They have the same movies. They have most of the same TV. And it's all these little tiny things that just make you feel very unsure of who you are or what you're doing. And most of the time you can just be like, Okay, well, I just don't know. I'm just ignorant. I don't know what you're talking about. Teach me. Let me learn. And But when you have a thousand of those every single day, you just start to just feel like, I don't belong here, and I don't know what I should do. I should, uh... And it was a great experience. It's one of the best years of my life. I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's why I still talk about it so much 25 years later. You know, I had a whole bunch of British friends. I had American friends I could talk to about this. And I still just felt uncomfortable in my own skin. And it honestly, it took a while for it to kick in. It kicked in like two or three months in. I don't know how this works. And I'm sick of almost getting run over every time I cross the street. (laughs) And you spoke the language. 
when and I speak the fucking language. Well, yeah, I, there are plenty of people I could not understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, but yeah, add to another that, level where training you wheels. Like... Yeah, I went to a place that has training wheels for culture shock, where it is eighty percent the same as anywhere in the U.S. Japan, which I have never been to, that seems so much more overwhelming. And the like, the history of like, there's thousands of years of history that got us to this point. And I don't know what the, I don't remember when the Tokunaga dynasty is, and I don't know how to care about this. Ugh. Tokugawa 1603 to 1867. But mm. yes. So this film spoke to me because I had just moved back from Japan oh. when this came out. So I had wow. been back in America for about three months. And I was in the midst of reverse culture shock because <laughs> I immersed myself utterly and totally in Japanese culture. My city of 50,000 pe people had three non-Japanese that I ever met in it. Mm. And everyone Damn. else was Japanese. I was small, rural cow town. And so I just threw myself in it for two years. And then when I come home, it's like, now I, this feels different. I got to see Nowhere Daredevil. feels <laughs> real to me. Great. Yeah. Yeah. There's the that added benefit of, yeah, if I'm in a crowd uh, in London, I don't stick out that much, except that I'm dressed shabbier than most Londoners are. Plop you down in a crowd, you know, at Shibuya. Yeah, you're going to stick out. Well, on, on the, behalf of... That same thing of, like, everyone else knows where they're going. <laughs> this city is too busy. Oh, God. Everyone else is doing their own thing, and I am so lonely. Well, how about on behalf of people who didn't live abroad, haven't been abroad for more than a month... And who watched this movie about a guy in the twilight of his career <laughs> having a bit of a midlife crisis. As a visitor of Japan, that is a great place for that to happen because <laughs> it captures that beauty of, of why Japan, or Tokyo especially, is so great to visit. It is All of it is vying for your attention all the time. And there seems to be a lot of ways to lose yourself. And maybe this is me being an ugly American. It's really hard to look not cool there. Because that's not really a fact. I mean, karaoke's out there in the open. It doesn't matter if you can sing. Just fucking do it. It's fun. It, the, the, the kind of judgment, I didn't feel the same kind of judgment I would feel doing things in Japan that I might do here. I didn't do well, karaoke. I think that's part of the culture shock because you're not around a people that your forebrain thinks, these are my tribe members. Well, I mean, it's also the culture in and of itself. Like, Tokyo yeah. parties fucking hard. It is, <laughs> do you have a vice? Do you like this thing? It is not weird. Go ahead, pursue this. We have a whole store with glass windows everybody can see in, and there's zero judgment, uh, seemingly. <laughs> Walked by a store where you could rent a woman, not to date, not to fuck, but to talk to. And it's like, this should be opaque glass. It's just glass. You can just watch <laughs> businessmen in there. I miss my sister. I'm going to rent this lady and talk to her. <laughs> I see these women screaming in the street, and they see me, and they're just like, saying stuff I can't, stuff I can't understand, stuff I can't understand, like, and then, Blow job, my stocking. Blow job, blow. <laughs> like no, but thank you. That is so nice of you to offer. <laughs> <laughs> there are some things. Rewatch this. I hadn't watched this in twenty years. Rewatching this, some things jumped out. Scarlett Johansson is so young. Yeah. She's actually too young for this role. She's eighteen. She's, is she really? Yeah, she's eighteen. And, oh you know, you, her character, you kind of get the feeling she's like 24, maybe like she just graduated from college. She's, you know, married this jackass who is so not Spike Jones. 
<laughs> who Sophia Coppola was married to at the time of the divorce, not long after this. Oh, uh, this. My favorite part about that is Sophia Coppola obviously made this movie about her divorce with Spike Jones. Well. Spike Jones would later make another film about his divorce with Sophia Coppola. And those yeah. two films are like a perfect what movie is that double feature. I think what's the Spike Jones movie. I'm not, I'm not getting it. Her. Yeah. I think it's her. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Again with Scarlett <laughs> Johansson. Mm. She got, yeah. they got joint custody of ScarJo. <laughs> she, <laughs> she can be and help them both deal with their trauma. But yeah, I love that. Like this, this definitely cemented, um, you don't get to make fun of Sofia Coppola anymore, guys. Yeah. Like we were doing a good job with that since 1990 because dear God, Godfather three, she's, she's no, she's wrong. And it, it's bad. And then she goes away for a while. She directs Virgin suicides, which I think is very good. Mm-hmm. It's a minor indie hit, but this one, she swings for the fences. She casts Bill Murray, not knowing if he's going to show up. She does pre-production and plans and maybe he'll show. And she just got lucky. And he did. Cause that's how he is. He doesn't return your calls. You don't know if he's coming or not. And he, Japan. she wrote it for him. <laughs> and and he showed up. And I mean, when he, God forbid, passes, this is like so emblematic of his later career of like, this is Ooh. absolutely the point where we realize Bill Murray is a great actor. Yeah. He's, I mean, Tannenbaum's just before this. Uh, she prob- no, she probably asked this. her cousin like, hey, that guy you were in Rushmore with, you think he'd be great yeah. in, in the exact same role for the most part. I feel this is like the defining role of serious actor Bill Murray's yeah. second half of his career. A little this bit, is but the one. There's still, yeah. isn't there a bit of there's moments of Groundhog, like a more serious Groundhog Day in this film. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, they, they have the humor. I, Loneliness yeah, well, and growth. The idea and, that like the, the everyone's schedules is so off because of jet lag and stuff, so it's like they never know what day it is. Yeah, and they're just waking up, and it's three in the morning, and they're like, "Well, I'm ready for the day. Fuck, what am I gonna do?" And I, I don't have the same any kind of melancholy relationship with the film. It's just incredibly fun for me to watch in a celebration of platonic love and travel. It's such an adult look at that. Mm-hmm. It's like they are not really judging either of these people. I mean, most doomed romance stories are like Romeo and Juliet teenage bullshit. This is just like. This is never going to work between us, but at this moment, I see you and you see me. Yeah, I've had mm. great experiences. I, I meet a yeah, I meet a nineteen-year-old fucking bartender and somehow exchange numbers, and it's just like knowing, like, I'm not getting involved with this, but I'll go see a movie and do something fun with you. It's like it's a great fucking feeling to be around, to have a shitload of fun around a hot girl you just don't have any romantic interest in, and are praying no nothing romantic happens. I, I mm-hmm. relate now. I yep. relate. Uh, it was watching the with that that little bit sort of in mind that just like the having like a a, a short but special time with someone made me think of Before Sunrise too. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and just like yeah, oh that'd be an interesting double feature where one is the more romantic version and this is more like you're really hoping they do not hook up. Yeah, <laughs> like no, no, this goes beyond that. Is it something better, different? It's not just hook up. Oh God! Everyone's so good in this. I, it's, yeah, I, it's I remember really excellent. liking it, this movie. Now I love it. I, I liked it when I saw it, and I saw it recently. I saw it at a theater revival a few years ago, and I I think I said it on a podcast. Like this is a much better movie than people remember. Yeah. It's it is not just a weird cultural moment. I think 
the world wasn't entirely hip to the phenomenon of American celebrities and Japanese commercials that had kind of just leaked onto the internet. That had, (laughs) that had gone on in secret for years. Nobody, America did not know it's celebrities. No, how would you see that? How would you see it? I remember, I remember the website, it was called Japander and you see these Schwarzenegger Mm -hmm. commercials and like, how does this exist? And we have never seen this. Ah, <laughs> ah, it's so good. Anyway, uh, let's keep going. You have a final thing. Final thing. Uh, there's a scene in this, which I've wanted to know for 20 years and they haven't bothered to look up until now. Uh, the Japanese director is giving Bill Murray instructions. And at the very end, his translator says, he wants you to turn to look at the camera. Okay. And, he asks, is that all he wanted? And she says, yes, turn to the camera. The full instructions are, Mr. Bobson, you are sitting quietly in your study. And then there is a <laughs> bottle of Suntory whiskey on top of the table. You understand, right? With wholehearted feelings, slowly look at the camera, tenderly, as if you are meeting an old friend. Say the words, as if you are bogey in Casablanca. Say, cheers to you guys, Suntory time. That's all he said? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. A very very hard recommend for me. It's it's much better. Big it's a recommend. much better movie than you remember it being. You'll enjoy so it more the older I, you are. I have to confess, I didn't rewatch it for this show. But in my first time for thirty twenty ten, I'm gonna watch it tomorrow with my wife after the show. Did you say Just that last week? Oh, it's, it's finish a movie. Okay. Yeah. Last week I watched half of it and then I finished it later on. This one I haven't even started it, but it's so good and I've missed it so much and I just couldn't fit it in this week, but I'm still going to watch it. It is, Huge it is recommend. unbelievably excellent. Can't say the same about the next yep. film. Ava Mendez, Denzel Washington, uh, the Back to the Future license plate, out of time. You see anything? Kind of look like you. So he was good looking. Chief Matt Whitlock was supposed to take the fall for murder. And I'm going to send a couple of agents down there this afternoon. They set me up. But he won't go down without a fight. I'm not running. What the hell is your problem if you shut up, you little... Sorry, I can't hear you. You're breaking up. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Academy Award winner, Denzel Washington. That's the guy. Police officer. Look straight up there. The chief, you okay? Just do it! Out of time. <laughs> out of time. And that trailer was a guy. Goddamn train ride. Jesus Christ. What is this about? Oh my God. I forgot I forgot all about this movie. Yeah. I I thought this was another uh what's this called? Hmm. Uh Scott Tony Scott movie. Uh, Tony Scott movie. Oh, it's the devil in the blue dress no. Guy. No, it's Carl Franklin, the devil mm-hmm. in the blue dress, um no one false move guy, mm-hmm. uh, which I think elevates it because damn, he is he's an animated guy. He deserved a better career. But kind of like Malice, it is sort of like a twisty turny full of red herrings someone is setting someone up but i wonder who it's going to be i don't know kind of movie but like better than i expected like I, yeah i was just sort of like eh, it's going to be like a regular cop thing and it turns out no it's i mean he he's he's a police chief in a small town in florida and it is pretty damn florida and he like steals a bunch of money for his girlfriend who's married but he's he still sits out of the evidence locker and she's dying and then she turns up dead and her husband turns up dead and he's been framed for everything and he's trying to figure out a way out of it and who who done it what is really going on who's someone's conning somebody and framing someone else who done it and i was like it's okay i uh, <laughs> just like the like, imdb yeah, tag of florida noir hilarious yeah yeah noir. exactly it's it's a total it's a florida noir of like yeah now the dea showing up and they want that money that uh 
was impounded, but that he gave to the girlfriend. It might have burned up in this house. It might have not burned up in this house. Who's got it? What's going on? Yeah. And also, it's short. It's like 100 minutes long. It's like never overstated. It's welcome. Just moved along pretty quickly. Everyone's sweaty. Uh, As far as movies that hold up, something I haven't seen in a very long time. The next film. Yeah. Out of time. If you want that sort of uh, twisty, turny crime thriller, fine. This That's movie very specific. Is, the next one is for everyone. This movie is streaming on YouTube officially. One of the only movies we ever get to say that about. I was I was like, am I still going to like this? And like, we just talked, sung the praise of Richard Linklater last week in his big studio debut of Dazed and Confused. Holy shit. Miranda Crossgrove, Sarah Silverman, Mike White, Joan Cusack, and Jack Black. It's number one at the box office. Hell yeah, School of Rock. This fall, old school rock. They called for subs. Said I was you. Meets private school prep. I've got a hangover. Who knows what that means? Doesn't that mean you're drunk? No, it means I was drunk yesterday. Are you going to teach us anything? Who do you like? Christina Aguilera. No. Puff Dead. Wrong. Liza Minnelli? No! What are they teaching this place? Jack Black. Tell me what rock's really about. Scoring chicks? That's it. The School of Rock. It will test your head and your mind and your brain. I would, and I would go as far to say as praise of this movie if you don't like jack black you will like this movie there's he is in every scene but being as jack blacky as possible but it's so admirable they made this like weird indie kids movie that most of the world responded to this made a ton of money it's it's a setup that i feel like i've seen other teacher or wacky teacher movies and I I remember when this came out being like, I am reticent. Look, I like Jack Black. I, I like Richard Linklater. I like Mike White. But, te- but teacher, wacky teacher movies, they don't tend to go very well. And like, usually the kids are too precocious and the teacher's too wacky. And it's it's too, just, just too silly and stupid. And God damn it, they balance out everything so beautifully in this, where it's like yeah, the teacher is wacky, but also has a ton of heart. He actually does teach them like good lessons. It, it's kind of it, sweet. The kids are all not annoying. Yeah, great. Did the did Dewey's character make you think like, why was he kicked out of the band? He is so supportive and positive to these fucking kids. Well, yeah. it's shown that he's incredibly irresponsible at the start of the movie, and he's going through this growth journey where he's going to learn how to provide value to the world because he's just kind of a sponge at the very start of it, and it's mm. him learning how to help other people. Yeah, and it starts out of totally selfish reasons, and then it grows to being, you know, he he actually cares about this kids. But yeah, the, the basic idea is uh, he's in a rock band. He gets kicked out of the rock band. Because he rocks too hard because he's annoying and he's a, just a giant kid. And he impersonates his roommate and takes a, a substitute teaching job and immediately starts trying to turn the band into a rival band to get back at his friends. And all that happens in the, so first, stupid. in the first 10 minutes, all that happens, which is yeah. just screenwriting, excellent 101 course. Look at the first 10 minutes of this film, how to set up your character, your environment, your conflict, everything in 10 minutes, breakneck speed. At no point does this film ever slow down, though. This is a fast-moving yeah. film. Yep. At, at some, Another one, some like point, 105 minutes. It just, let's get it done. I underlined it in my notes. I'm like, with a couple of tweaks, this could have been the really good Tenacious D movie. 
that hmm. that we wish we could have had because that he's kind of playing the same person which is only now yeah. 20 years on this antiquated fandom for rock and roll <laughs> like it's i have to look at it like that now because i was just born and when that was so mainstream rock and roll is so niche these days guys yeah. if you look at what percentage of top 100 songs are rock and roll in 2023 it's a, it's a yikes mm-hmm. it's just a, a character talking like this kids won't know what they mean they did for 30 or 40 years but they <laughs> it might have to be explained it is it, it, yeah. it does look like a guy with a niche obsession <laughs> yeah but i mean that's so charming about because it it's about you know the purity of the rock and he's explaining to you know the, the kids to the audience about like yeah what what is the power of, of rock and roll why does it connect to people in this way and you know let's appreciate it instead of just having it as background music that's whatever and, and yeah i mean obviously shout out mike white wrote this yeah. who now has all of the money from that one show that everyone tells Black me to Lotus. watch that i still haven't it's good thank you white lotus and Black Lotus is on BET. It's mm-hmm. it's the black version, and yeah, <laughs> Omar App stars on it. But um, the thing about this is, like, yeah, I kind of want to like pull it apart from a writer standpoint of like, how does this end up working so well? Because this is this really is a movie for everyone. Mm-hmm. Kids will enjoy it. Grownups will enjoy it. Old folks will enjoy. Like, there's this is such a freaking crowd pleaser, and I remember- every step along the way. I can think of another movie that's sort of similar to this that ends up just falling apart. Like, no, this keeps moving forward. And I care about all the kids by the end. Mm -hmm. And I I like calling it a a kid's movie because they keep a lot of darker material and cursing out of it. And I remember the audience cracking up of kids and people my age when Joan Cusack is describing herself as a bit of a and can't say the movie uses the word ass triumphantly because you realize they haven't really <laughs> cursed this whole fucking movie and <laughs> they they all yell ass at the same time it's it's, it's it was glorious i had ju- just as good a time with it as i did 20 years ago what's also really amazing analyzing it from a screenwriter perspective is there's not really any bad guys in this film nope i mean Except the, the stuff your parents for like five minutes but that's not really a bad guy. That's just like an obstacle it was, to overcome. It was confusing because any parent now would be my age. I'm like, oh, yeah, teach my kid Zeppelin. All good. Like, <laughs> that'll be great. I'd rather her learn about well, that this, than your version this of This is a private school. Yes, it is yes, meant yes. to be a bit of a top-notch yes. establishment. Hey, mm-hmm. what? That type of thing just isn't done. Stepping stone to being a Yaley. Yes. <laughs> yes, everybody talk through their teeth. Yes, but you know the point is that it's uh, it's interactive learning. They learn lots of things. They learn, you know, there's a lot of math and music, and you know they learn costume design. And some kids are assigned to be groupies. They find a way to be groupies. It's not you know gross. And there's a way that to portray this whole plot realistically. Or at least authentically. I know I use that word a lot, but it feels authentic. You wouldn't go to, you may not go to jail for something like this. You could see being forgiven for taking your roommate's identity and <laughs> doing a job at a school and then kind of kidnapping the kids to go perform a rock concert because everybody yeah. seems happy at the end. I mean, that's the nature of the beast, you know. This is not a hard hitting movie that's going to end with Jack Black in jail. And yeah, the kids in therapy. It's not it, that. It film. comes from a screenwriter and director who handle much heavier subject matter on a regular basis, and it cannot go without stating this is Richard Linklater's highest grossing movie of all time by a lot, hundred and fifty yep. million of 
Jesus wow. Christ of, on like a $30 yeah. million dollar budget. And then was adapted into a stage musical mm-hmm. by Andrew Lloyd Webber huh. and the creator of Downton Abbey. What? Yes. Where, what Was there a strike? Why would, <laughs> why would they work on this? Whatever. I don't understand plays. Pause. I don't know. Money. But prestige stuff. Yeah. I mean, this seems obvious that you could you could do this as a stage musical like yeah not not a problem and they've kicked around doing a a, a sequel there was a tv show on uh nickelodeon that ran for a little while there was huh. a couple years actually like it ran it ran for a while and one of the most charming things ever that it was a dvd extra i'm sure you can find it it's on youtube because so cool. this movie has zeppelin in it and zeppelin are very picky about what they license their music to to this day and there is a, a video from the end at the Battle of the Bands where the, Jack Black gets the whole crowd <laughs> to plead with Led Zeppelin, please let us use Immigrant Song it's, for this scene. It's very, you very can important. You find it on us. YouTube. It is like a very quick and dirty scene where he just every extra is involved in begging and all the kids begging Led Zeppelin to please let us use the Immigrant Song. <laughs> and it's not even like an important scene at all. <laughs> like it. It kind of is. I mean, it's it's a scene of him underlining like what it is to rock out as they're like you know driving around all the kids packing. And the I, band I do and wonder because like, they. I don't know what other song you would use. To, that was to the explain, first like hard rock. It was that was the first image of every trailer and TV spot too. So they got to use the song promotionally, which was when Cadillac did it. It was like a record breaking number that they had to pay to use that mm-hmm. same song. And Jack Black and they just begged them on camera, <laughs> and they were so charmed so by cute. it. They said yes. It's very cool. I, and and the, it might have the best ending credit sequence of all time. <laughs> that is a pleasure to sit through where the kids yep. and him are all jamming together about the movie being almost over and they don't have anything left to sing about. And that's another really cool thing. I don't know if every kid is playing their own instrument, but there's like, you know, you can see like, it's not a perfect performance. That's, this kid's really doing it. This is so cool. They're doing stuff live. And yeah. I, I want to make the same thing I said about uh, Michael J. Fox. 30 years from now, I think this, if there's one Jack Black movie that the public is still aware of, it will be this one because this will hold yeah. up for a long, long time. Well, it's a kid's movie, which is eternal. You're yeah. always going to have kids who like rock and roll or like music. Let's go there. Who like music and they want to see an outsider become an insider. They want to see a teacher who like gets them, man. Mm-hmm. And a teacher who's passionate about the craft. Okay, that's one thing about teaching is you absolutely have to, on some level, care and be excited about what you teach if you want to reach the kids. And that's how Jack Black connects with his kids. There's a couple of good videos that shows you the good and the bad of the Jack Black teaching method. But he does (laughs) a number of techniques that are pretty recommended for teachers. And, and in addition to that, the, the real secret to making a movie look timeless, boarding school or any other rich people place, because they love things looking the same. It'll never change. <laughs> Everybody be wearing the same thing. And 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 but I think the, the biggest one is I was a huge Tenacious D fan the moment it aired. It did was not a slow burn for me. I was an endless I will watch Jack Black in anything. I was I was kind of on board very early as far as the Jack Blackiness goes. Other people are not because his character in this movie is dialed back ever so slightly, if only for the content of things that come out of his mouth. It's no slamming groupies, smoking a big fat dube, the kind of things you would hear from Tenacious D is all almost G-rated for the most part. I was a little shocked when they brought mm-hmm. up groupies and I hadn't seen it so long. The kid comes back the next day. I Googled groupies, asshole. I'm not doing that. I'm like, 
All right, sweet. Another check mark. This movie will yeah. still work uh, twenty years from now. Yeah, but it's like so many, so many things for kids. Like mm-hmm. the 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 message is always like, be yourself. Find the thing that makes you special and be yourself. And usually, it's just like it makes me roll my eyes. Like, yeah, whatever. I'm different, and that's why I get bullied. So go fuck yourself. Like. Fuck you, child entertainment. And this one is like, they actually take the time and he's like, that's part of the teaching of working with the kids of finding the thing that they're special at, that they're ha- that makes them happy, that and finding the things that are like slowing them down. Like the one girl who's like, I don't want kids to make fun of me because I'm big. And it's like, dude, you ever seen Aretha Franklin? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves Aretha was, Franklin. She's the queen of everything. That was the biggest embrace da- it. dating yeah. thing that dated the movie, talking about Aretha Franklin, the present tense, everything else and like, is this for the 2013 or 2003 segment? I can't. Oh, yeah. Aretha Franklin will yeah. never die. <laughs> Diana, on your point, Jack Black is doing something called differentiated instruction. That's where you what? tailor the lessons to meet individual students' interests, needs, and strength. It's amazing. It's a great tactic. Hard as F. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've got 30 kids in one class, how are you going to teach one lesson that goes to all their individual interest, needs, and strengths. It's very hard, but great. Absolutely, it was worth doing. I just tipping my hat. I, I'm pretty sure it was developed as a vehicle for Jack Black, but like, who else could you possibly cast in this? No comedian mm. could do this. Has the vocal range to do any of this? The song, mm. the new songs are written by Mike White and Jack Black. And as far as like original songs written for an in-film band. <laughs> Very, very good song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shit, what is it called? Yeah, that that's another one where it's usually like, and this is the big number, and everyone's mm-hmm. so impressed, and you're like, eh, it wasn't that good. Yeah, that's derivative of many other songs. But everyone in the movie songs, goes like, like, that's the best song! Yeah, you believe it. It's you're believable. Like, it's authentic all the way through. I was sort of blown away with how much this movie still worked for me, um, having yeah. watched it this week. So big, big recommend for School of Rock. It's streaming other places, but free in HD on YouTube. I don't know about the ad situation. Whew. Okay. 2003 TV, uh, September 29th through October 5th. Temptation Island ends. I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, it started nah, in 2001. Nah. <laughs> I this... can't believe that this, I thought this was running the whole time. It is in yeah. some form. I mean, it came back and that was hugely popular. This was but... the go-to scuzzy reality show. Yeah. When yeah. people wanted to make fun of scuzzy reality shows, they pretty much latched onto Temptation Island as their like starting point. Well they're 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 not only torturing people emotionally and sexually, they're doing it in a foreign it's, environment. <laughs> it's the relationship version of getting trapped by Jigsaw. The producers <laughs> are actively making this clockwork world to try to get you to cheat on your relationship person. It's so weird because it is very popular. I came back a couple years ago. It, it it's Bigger than ever, but right. twenty years ago they 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 tried it and it, it failed. I mean, yeah. because um, you know, we're all a bunch of uh, horrible voyeurs who like to judge each other. Again, I, it's not I in think... our wheelhouse, but I think Netflix currently has like seventeen series based on whatever this is. Yes, but this show, because it dealt with real human beings, occasionally went way out of its wheelhouse. Yeah. Like, mm. play this clip for about fifteen seconds. This is a guy talking about what problems he's going to have on Temptation Island because of his traumatic past. You know, my, my dad cheated on my mom, and it, it led him down the road to actually be murdered by the woman that he was cheating with, <laughs> husband. It rocked me to my core, you know. I love the idea of marriage. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> what? Drop that on your show about getting you to oh. cheat. Holy crud. Oh, okay. And then moving on to the Angel episode convictions where they get a new cast member that you might recognize. I love it when this happens. Yeah, this is such a great episode. They have fight from Buffy on the new Angel series. And to me, this is peak Angel. I really think their last season when it's Spike and Angel teamed up together is just the best. They are exploring adult themes of what does it mean to work in a corporate world where there are no good decisions? That's a better thing for Angel to have tackled from the very beginning because Buffy was always about childhood and this should have been about young adulthood. But they didn't reach there until the final season. If you're going to watch Angel and you don't have time to watch the full thing, watch the final season. You're good. It's, it's, it's that thing that comes from knowing you have one season left and you can wrap this all up with all your new stuff. And yeah, I've, I've heard the last season of Angel, I've heard people say like it's greater than all of Buffy, just given its pacing. Um, being able to it's wrap it up. quick. I can't think of a Buffyverse season, mm-hmm. either Angel or Buffy, that moves faster than final season Angel. Mm. Um, and then it debuts on ABC with it's all relative and married to the Kellys. I am so disconnected to whatever these shows are at this point. Wacky blended families. We got wacky blended families. Uh, Yeah. One of them's them's got Larry Clark, Lenny Clark on it. And, uh, other one is about like a city boy who moves in with his in-laws in like bumfuck nowhere. Family comedies. Yeah. It's All Relative was about the blending of a lower-class Irish Catholic and an upper-class class wasp gay couple. So, Will these white people ever get along? Who gives a shit? Um, yeah. And I love mocking this every time I see it. Tarzan debuts on the WB, a property they will not stop adapting that nobody wants to see. Okay, okay. <laughs> but do you know what the hook is? Please. For... Please tell me. Okay, the hook... For this 2003 adaptation is Tarzan. Now he's a cop in New York. Hell yeah! I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Oh, there was something in this. It was like from the the jungle to the urban jungle, wasn't there? And if there wasn't, Uh, there there should have been. Me, Tarzan, you arrested. (laughs) (laughs) It did not last at all. No! And I love how honest the producer of it is. He's saying, you know, I got hungry to produce anything. So I wrote a 50-page story that ended. Then it got made into a series, and I had it in production, and it was all my dreams come true. And then I said, uh, film 12 more. What's the story? The story ended. And so he didn't know what to do once wow. he made Tarzan into a cop. Wow. Wow. Oh, my get, like, God. Please pay attention to the phenomenon of Tarzan. They make a new movie or TV show every few years. The world rejects it. Disney, kind of an outlier, but they have a way of making money even on their failures. I think unadjusted, it's like in the bottom five of highest grossing Disney movies. Fucked. I don't. I don't get it. Tarzan, <laughs> quit it. Quit it. Uh, Why is it not called Sergeant Tarzan? Sergeant Tarzan. <laughs> oh, oh. so much better. And then finally, in TV, the 29th season of SNL begins. Jack Black is our host. But more notably, Keenan Thompson has his first episode as a cast member, marking 20 Yay. years of, you could call him the greatest SNL cast member of all time, easily. He's, all, he's pretty much, the, I go back and forth between Kate McKinnon and Dana Carvey all the time. But 
damn, I love Keenan mm-hmm. so much. And I love a guy who has been shackled to sketch comedy his entire life <laughs> and <laughs> just so good at it. Can always make me laugh while acknowledging this is a fun thing we're doing. Even when what I'm saying is dumb and I don't like it. Salute to Keenan Thompson once again. Video games of 2003, 20 years ago. Ether Lords 2. <laughs> Was this sounds like a fake game in a movie. Ether Lords 2. <laughs> it's ripping off Magic the Gathering. No. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, more well-regarded was Freedom Fighters um, for PC, PS2, Xbox, and uh, GameCube. Is this from the Tomb Raider people, I believe? I don't know. I know it's about what if Stalin got the bomb first oh. and uh, oh. basically conquers most of the world. Oh. Wow. Was this out last year? I forget. Um, oh, I was totally wrong. All right. Well, I'll stop talking. I hate being corrected in the video. I'm just kidding. Do it all you want. Let's go out with some Dido. White Flag. She's got an album out this week, right? Diana chose mm-hmm. this for reasons <laughs> I, yep. I, I don't have. Yes, because the album is out this that, week. Awesome. Well, stay right there, people. we got one more segment in the barrel when we get back. But I will go down with this shit. And I won't put and surrender There will be no white flag above my door I'm in love Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of September 29th through October 5th, I feel like we have so many recommendations this episode. I want to keep Classic Corner short, which is easy because I only found one movie I really want to talk about this week. Turning 90 years old. From 1933 is Mae West's I'm No Angel, which I think is my favorite Mae West film. And I really like Mae West films. Now, I might be a little bit biased because I was very lucky to see this in a theater full of people. And comedy always plays better that way. I saw it as a double feature. Uh, I'm No Angel and She Done Him Wrong. Perfect. Both Mae West making Cary Grant nervous. This one I think is my favorite because it's like the most Mae West Mae West ever got. So like her shtick is she loves to fuck and she's never ever hiding this fact. Uh, Even though she's kind of a bigger girl, she's ridiculously curvy. This one, she's uh, starts off as kind of a con artist at in like a circus. She's got like a burlesque act, which has an outfit that like, you can't believe they were allowed to show this on screen in 1933. Like, it really, like, Madonna wishes she wore something this controversial. It is just blinged out titties. The whole dress is just blinged out titties. And uh, so she's like, you know, a gold digger and a con woman. And she's running a con on this guy. And, you know, the, uh, the, the cops are after her. And they have a big trial. And she does a lot of sashaying around the courtroom. And that gets her off in more ways than one. And, yeah. Really funny, very, very naughty, goofy movie. So that's my only recommendation this week. I'm No Angel with Mae West. A 90-year-old sex comedy that, yes, I absolutely laugh out loud. Because it's just so cartoonish and so goofy. So, yep, that's it for this week. Stay classic. I wanna try ya 
Coming in with Hey Porsche by Nelly off of MO. Welcome to 2013. Ten years ago, other new music releases for the week of September 29th through October 5th include Event 2 by Deltron 3000, Unvarnished by Joan Jett and the Black Hearts, Siberia by Polvo, Vapor Trails Remixed by Rush, Bee Room by Dr. Dog, Innocence by Moby, Bangers by Miley Cyrus, and Bitter Rivals by Sleigh Bells. I feel like Dr. Dog was put in there to see if I'm paying attention and not just Ron Burgundying. <laughs> Dr. Dog, Dr. Dog fans, I want to hear from you. Wrecking Ball by yeah. Miley Cyrus is still number one. Yeah, I have to admit this was uh, Nelly's song made it about to like 40 something on the charts mm-hmm. and listen to it. I'm like, wow, this is like a throwback. This sounds like a song from 2003. Mm. Oh, I, I had to double check it. Like, wait, really? 2013? Because I, I like this <laughs> and I'm old. Oh, boy. And then 10 years ago in the news, a partial United States federal government shutdown occurs as a result of uh, political disagreements over operational spending. Uh, Was that the first? That wasn't the first time that happened, surely. Not even close. But uh, I'm I'm trying to remember when I started noticing it because it does seem like it's happening a lot more often. Well, it depends on how far along it goes. You know, it's one thing if it happens, you know, and it's pulled away at the very last minute. This one lasted a while. This was 1.3 million workers were required to report to work without known payment dates. And uh, 8,800,000 federal employees were furloughed indefinitely. This was the third longest government shutdown in U.S. history. Wow. Mm -hmm. I I think people should not not underestimate a furlough. Because when it happened to me twice, I was just like... I cannot show up and not be fired. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. All I wanted is a break. Like, even if it's unpaid, give me. Also, we're, Republicans like to starve the government so the government does a really bad job. And right. so we won't trust the government and then we'll want private industry to do stuff. And you know what? I don't want that. Right. The government doesn't work if you constantly break it. Yes. This government shutdown actually personally affected me. My wife and I were going around Southern Oregon at the time, and there's this area called Crater Lake. And driven past it so many times going to other places. It was always out of the way. And it was like, let's go there some other time. And this time we were like, you know what? This is it. This is the time we're going to visit it. And we visited it and we had completely forgot about the shutdown. And we drove way out of our way and we couldn't go to it. And I've never been to like this famous (laughs) Oregon natural wonder because of this government shutdown. So Mm. Gerard. Yeah, I want to say it was Colbert Report that had a fun bit because they shut down all the national parks and mm-hmm. like they heard from some couple that was supposed to get married at a park. And so they had the wedding on Colbert show. And uh, it was pretty fun because it was like every time someone came out and now it's the uh, maid of honor. All right. Shots. Shots, everybody. And they did a bunch of shots. It's like and now the flower girl. Come on. Shots. OK, let's move on to the movies of 2013. September 29th through October 5th. I am very frustrated here because my memory is now fading. I'm officially becoming an old person. I know I saw the movie Filth with James McAvoy, Jamie Bell, and Eddie Marson because I, after train spotting, I was obsessed with Irving Welsh like a lot of my other friends. But all of that bled into all of the, all the adaptations of Irving Welsh books use different Irving Welsh books. (laughs) And, and then the train spotting sequel uses some things introduced by the train spotting movie. It's so it's very weird. So I know I think I've read this book and saw the movie and I don't remember anything about it. I'm so sad. Uh, it's about a bad cop. Yeah. In Scotland. Yeah. Bad cop. Bad cop. Uh also this week, George McKay, Tom Holland, Sorcia Ronan, How I Live Now. Is that another Tarzan uh, movie? 
No. Actually, I'm sorry. Just to go back to filth, uh, oh, I, I saw one phrase that was, uh, I think it was the Rotten Tomatoes summary, but it describes all Irvin Welsh properties so perfectly, enthusiastically unpleasant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love that phrase so much. All right. How I Live Now, another British uh, import with us, girl. She's got to go live, with, you know, in the country, the British countryside. And there's, I don't want to go out there. And now I have to go, oh, fuck, Armageddon has started. There's like nuclear bombs and, and uh, uh, martial law and gangs of roving bad guys. And surprise. Yeah. Oops, apocalypse. Let's call that one. <laughs> Oops, apocalypse. Surprise, apocalypse. I don't cause... think if you're watching this movie without seeing any previews, you'd see that coming, right? Am I remembering it correctly? It's kind of just like, yeah. they went there? This didn't oh. seem like that kind of movie, and then they just went there. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought this was a coming-of-age story, and it's turned into Hunger Games, huh? Well, Hunger Games is very popular right now. This also is based on a book, and I admit I didn't get around to seeing it. Uh, the reviews were pretty good. I was like, I mean, obviously, Saoirse Ronan, I've never seen her do a bad job, ever, at anything. So, I don't know. Did anyone get to see it? No, no, no. No. Yeah, but I've heard it's pretty good. So, uh, same with the next one. Moving on more, to Craig Reed, J- Jason Fleming, Jane Horrocks, Peter Mullen, Freya Mavor, Antonio Thomas, uh, Kevin Guthrie, and George McKay. And Sunshine on Leith. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Name a movie that I'll never see based on the title. All right. Well, I wanted to bring this up because this sounds so fucking unlikely. This is an adaptation of the stage jukebox musical based on the music of the Proclaimers. What? And it is one of the best reviewed movies that we are talking about this week. (laughs) People fucking loved Sunshine on Leaf. They said it is charming and wonderful and catchy and adorable. Do they close the 500 miles? Of course they fucking do. You'd be pissed off if they didn't. Uh, Yeah, and it's directed by Dexter Fletcher, who's... God, does he have an autobiography? Because he's had a crazy career. He was a child actor in Bugsy Malone. Then he was in Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels. And then he directed this and uh, Rocket Man, the Elton John movie, which I thought was outstanding. Really? And so now this is one of these, like, I ran out of time. I didn't get to watch it. Fuck it. Now I got to go watch Sunshine on Leith because I like that guy's musicals. It's because we were all so busy watching Anthony Mackie, Gemma Ayrton... <laughs> Ben Affleck and Justin Timberlake in Runner Runner. Can I just say, I nope. was looking at this Gemma no, Arterton, who Her name's on the poster. Who is this person? And it was just... Gemma Arterton? to Yeah, like in a bunch of movies I would never watch outside of the show. And even then, not likely. Yeah, pretty much. Like, what would I know her from? But uh, this movie got terrible reviews. Oh, yeah. That's another one that sounds like, oh, it's, it's an interesting premise that this a, a guy who's, you know, raising money through gambling uh, i think it's co-written by a guy who wrote rounders and then like gets involved with uh online betting platform run or website run run out of the caribbean somewhere mm. or costa rica yeah and, and yes and things are up to no good and there's probably gonna be some double crossing and who cares because get out of the way because i think we, wow yeah the reviews were bad. we were all in the theater for one reason this week um hmm. so back on up George Clooney, Sandra Bullock, number one of the box office. It's gravity. We have to go. We have to go, go, go. The explorer's been hit. What do I do? Astronaut is off structure. Grab a hold of anything you can. I'm really scared. I'm going to make it, all right? Gravity. 
Gravity, rated PG-13. Gravity. I have not thought about gravity in a long time. And mm-hmm. Alfonso Cuaron, Mexico's Christopher Nolan, uh, other than Roma, yeah. this is like the last movie he made. Yeah, and he, there was seven years where we didn't have any Cuaron because Children of Men, despite being fucking amazing. One of the best movies was, ever made. Was disappointing at the box office. And he just, yeah, it's like, oh, okay, well, first I'll, I'll fix the Harry Potter movies forever and then uh, I'll make this classic but it won't make any money. Seven years we got no fucking Quaron, and then he shows up writing a, writing a movie with his son. It makes so much money. It is in the top ten highest grossing films of the year. It's the only one that is an original property. Eleven Oscar nominations and it's yes. pretty fucking cool to this day. <laughs> it's so it's another one. It's kind of like School of Rock. We're just like, oh, that was pretty good. They watch it. And, this and is fucking great it makes again. Almost God one billion dollars. And I just, where's the love for this movie? I don't. I and I again, my problem with it is the big one that everybody talks about. Mm. A movie that is wearing on its sleeve the harsh reality of space, and then the George Clooney parts, and like that's not how any of this works. Just, just give him a tug. What's going on? Why, why at this part do we suspend everything we know about the situation? Uh, I did not get to watch this. I oh. had the option. Mm-hmm. I could have either watched this on my laptop or Don't. not at all. Don't. Oh. And I chose the not at all Good because call. I've never seen this. I wish I could see it in theaters. I miss that boat. But if I'm going to see it, it's going to be on my big screen TV, all the lights off, full <laughs> shebang. Yes. But my favorite comment about man versus nature stories is that nature wants to kill you to make more nature. But when you're in space, yeah. space wants to kill you to make nothing. Yeah, space is space a- wants to end not your life, but the life of your microbic organisms living <laughs> on your body as well. It wants all of that shit dead. You should not be here. I never thought of this as a man versus nature story, but fun yeah. yeah i mean i think of it as a horror story mm-hmm. because i mean the basic setup if you don't know is sandra bullock and george clooney are astronauts they're out on a spacewalk a giant wave of debris uh comes through and smashes the shit out of everything because that's how it do and now sandra bullock's Which... basically on her own trying to figure out how to get back to earth it's the remnant in space yeah. <laughs> or it's it, he compared it to castaway actually hmm castaway yeah yeah that's a good comparison now i have an anecdote that i heard from another podcast third hand but credit will where where credit is due um i heard it from blank check had on a guy from hollywood handbook who was talking about how he worked on a project with billy zane this is billy zane's idea he said that there's the the point in gravity where they get hit by all the debris and as Andrew bullock tries to grab george clooney he can't and he's floating out into space and he's going to die out there alone there's no hope and he stays very calm and he's like you're gonna be okay sandra you you, you know it's it's gonna work out it's, it's everything and and it's it's very moving but because it's george clooney and he's always so cool as a cucumber if he lost his fucking shit at that moment like mm-hmm. most people would the rest of this movie plays very differently yeah i mean i can't imagine the impact of him being like it's gonna be okay you're just you know follow our training is gonna be okay Okay, it's gonna. Oh God, I don't want to die. I don't want to die out here. I don't want to die. Oh my God, that and, would have been the biggest fucking kick in the chest ever. And I again, good I'm, job, Billy Zane. You're right. I'm the dumbest film critic any of you are familiar with. 
but this movie, like I have written things and I've written things that have been put on screen before. Like, I don't even know how you go about writing this, not knowing, not knowing how you're going to shoot it, but Quaron does. And when you look at the behind the scenes of this stuff, like how do you even write this knowing you're going to be able to pull off these insane shots where gravity can never be a factor? It's just, it's so wild. Like almost no one would think to write and make a movie like this. And it's why I think it deserves more credit. Even well, he, he won the Oscar for Best Director, which he absolutely deserved because, he, you know, you got to think in all three dimensions and that everything is constantly moving. Yeah, because that's how space works. Nothing actually stops moving oh, ever. This is examining what's known as Kessler syndrome. So the thing is, we've got a bunch of satellites in space, right? Mm-hmm. They're all designed to not hit other satellites. Mm-hmm. The fear is that if either due to some warfare in space or things getting out of control. Fast and the Furious car. Sure, Fast (laughs) and Furious car. We've got so many things in space that one satellite gets crashed and becomes space junk flying around. That hits another satellite, which hits another satellite. And pretty soon you've got a chain reaction. And then you can't launch any satellites at all until all that space junk falls to the slowest the apocalyptic domino effect you can possibly imagine <laughs> should that happen mm, yeah i and, mean and yeah it's scary it's just a, a it's just a wave of stuff but it's all like bullets shooting at them and yeah people talk about well the probability for getting to can she get to the international space station no can she get to this chinese station maybe you know like the probabilities of these are at different heights and they're moving at different speeds and how likely is it not very likely, but, well, dead bodies floating in space for two hours isn't really fun. Mm. So we're going to have to bend things ever so slightly because it's a movie. And it, 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 it doesn't require a scientist. It's why like, I don't like picking a movie like this apart. It's what we all know about the empty, the void of space yep. and how fucking just how useless everything you know is outside of <laughs> outside of <laughs> outside of that oxygenated ship. You are fucking useless. You are just more yep. debris. Unbelievable. Yep. Unbelievable. And, and like, sh- I don't know. I've seen it's it's not marooned <laughs> necessarily from the 60s, <laughs> but it's it's a fascinating premise done with a technology like with so many technological marvels. I, I, I didn't mean to shit on Roma because I really liked Roma, but this should have written Quarren a ticket to do whatever he whatever you want, man. You got two actors in this for the most part and you made almost a billion dollars. Most of it's just one actor. Yeah. Most of it is Sandra Bullock on her own. I read about like other people being cast and it's just like ludicrous. Anybody but Sandra Bullock. I don't know what it is about. I I think it's, she's a little more ground. Let's talk about like Natalie Portman and Blake Lively. I'm like, who the fuck would believe that? Like (laughs) Sandra Bullock has 10 years on all of them. And, and, and yeah, she's so good in this. It like, I I don't, she doesn't make a lot of movies that I want to see nowadays, even though she is maybe our most bankable female actress, actor. She is the most gorgeous actress I can think of who can pull off Dr. Sexy Scientist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's not like, okay, you're obviously a playboy bunny and you're, you're, you're just wearing a pair of fake glasses no sandra bullock i can absolutely i don't know how it was, as... anybody else was in contention and and she's basically tortured in this <laughs> making this movie mm-hmm. spinning around constantly Ugh. it's a it's a fantastic job and um it's no shame that it lost out to 12 years a slave at the oscars but crone got yeah. his 
Yeah, Quarum got his. Uh, Sandra Bullock, I think she just narrowly lost because she had won pretty recently. Mm-hmm. And she's up against Kate Blanchett and Blue Jasmine, who was truly incredible. So, yeah, no shame in that, man. Uh, I was so glad Quarum won. <laughs> I was like, well, someone please, yes, please, everyone give him money. I just want to see what he wants to do next. And just, yeah, I mean, it deserves to be said because I keep seeing all these Martin Scorsese quotes of him shitting on Marvel movies saying they're not cinema. And like, he is correct in that, like, everything's a franchise and that, like, he didn't say, I don't think he means to say it's it's just not about people or a new idea. It's a franchise that's supposed to give you the same thrills as as a roller coaster. It's another episode in a TV show. Yeah, yeah. And, and and this, like, when I when I stumble across something like this or Life of Pi, I'm astonished that, like, these are big-budgeted, like, broadly appealing movies that in, that get seen at the theaters, and I never hear about them again in conversations with yeah. people who talk about movies. And I find that odd. Maybe it's my age. Well, maybe it, we haven't had enough time to revisit this. It's also your group. You know, if yeah, you true. hang around people who talk about franchises all the time, you're going to hear about franchises oh, hey, hey, all the time. That's not my group. Only so, some of it, yes. But um, <laughs> no, it's it just worth This movie is worthy of praise and I think needs to be in some kind of discussion of like, we didn't even consider it for best movie of the decade. Mm-hmm. I, I'm happy with our choices, but like, it's fucking good. See it if you yeah. haven't seen it. But like JR yep. said, do and it loud it. and big. Egg. Dude, try yeah. and try and get it on an OLED TV, man. You're gonna want those blacks. Do not pull that and take that out of context, <laughs> dude. <laughs> yeah, I I saw this in the theater, and I'm really mm-hmm. glad I did because there is this, that feeling of like, yep, I'm surrounded by blackness, and uh, we're all gonna die because space hates you. And, and that's that's why yeah. I brought up the franchise thing. It was something I remember. Like my girlfriend at the time was like, "Well, we have we have to go see fucking this in theaters," and like. I don't feel like that happens anymore. We don't get huge budgeted, well-conceived original properties made for the screen unless it's Christopher Nolan. And look how he's doing. Uh, Maybe you can thank Barbie for all that, (laughs) for a bit of that. But still, miss it, man. Like Oppenheimer was so wonderful. And that's all I could think of after watching this. Because any movie executive who approves a non-franchise film... Mm If that movie doesn't do well, it doesn't just have to do okay. It has to do exceptionally well if it's a giant blockbuster like this. If it doesn't do exceptionally well, everyone is going to ask him, why didn't you make sequel number 27 to our franchise? Yeah, and this was in development hell for years at multiple studios. No one really knowing how to go about it, but with mild trust for Quaron. And it just ends up coming out. Through, I think jointly through Universal and Warner Brothers, and let me check if it's streaming out there. But I think I recommend, right? For for oh god, yes, yeah, huge huge recommend. I think it's one of the best movies of 2013. Period. Yeah, yeah, I could I could get along with that. What the fuck? Where is everybody on Gravity? For fuck's sake. Anyway, moving on to like, man, what a week for dramatic things on our screens. (laughs) Break the end of Breaking Bad on AMC Mm. is now 10 years old, and that is like. One of the few, sh- and again, JR, this may be the group of people I'm involved with on social media, a universal thing that can be memed that everybody gets is now like 10 years old. It's a, and it feels You're like one of the- damn right. It feels like one of the newer <laughs> things that, that people can make jokes about that everyone gets, Breaking Bad, and uh, the finale, which is pretty excellent. I say pretty excellent, yep. but dude, El Camino is so much better as a finale. 
and is a movie, so it's very wonderfully rewatchable. Whereas the last episode of this, you need a lot of information from the previous episodes. Uh, see, I love this TV show so much, and I still have yet to see El Camino. I have watched it maybe almost ten times when I wow. when I get drinky and I want to watch something familiar, and I feel I, I think about Breaking Bad. What do you do? Pick your favorite episodes. Pick an arc. No, El Camino is it, it has a different feel too. It celebrates the whole series while supplying the character who deserved it most with the most meaningful ending. And it's beautiful. It is it is a different vibe than the show with a lot of the same stuff. So I hate to make this all about El Camino. But. No, no. The vibe of this show is amazing. From start to finish, this is one hell of a whirlwind. I've never rewatched it. I have not even once. Three um, times. It is on my list of retirement shows. When I f- retire, maybe then I'll have time to rewatch television. But there's so many new amazing shows these days that I, I don't mm-hmm. have time to keep up with one tenth of the ones I'd want when to I say watch. So I can't rewatch a TV show, JR. I often mean an iPad next to whatever Souls game I'm playing for 100 hours. <laughs> you pl- Sometimes, yeah. as long as I've already seen it, I'll let it play on my in my car. And <laughs> but, but you are a free time millionaire, Chris. Mm. I <laughs> do not think I've put in a hundred hours into video games over the last two this is true. years. Yeah, my my cat my cat is not your kids for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but let's get to this show. What was your first clue that Walter White was actually an evil man? I don't know because I. Apparently, Vince Gilligan said that in interviews in the first season. And by first season, that is a movie. There are four, what, four to six episodes of of Breaking Bad season one. And he does one kind of naughty thing. Everything else he's traumatized by and feels reluctant about and then gets real tough at the end and becomes Heisenberg. Yeah, there's it's tough because it is like a gradual sort of thing until there is like the moment of, well, there's no going back. Uh, Yeah, watching the girlfriend die. There's no coming back from this. You have made a choice to do evil now. And I'll say it. I See, didn't. It I, didn't fully take me over until I'm the one who knocks speech of him yelling at his yeah. wife as Scarface. Like, oh, <laughs> there's no coming back from this. Jesus Christ. See, <laughs> for me, it was very early on. It was the mm. moment when his rich billionaire old partners yeah. offered him a job, yeah. offered him a way out, offered a way to take care of his kids, Agreed. and his pride wouldn't let him take that. Exactly. Even though he knew he was dying, it was the much safer route to take care of his children, and he didn't take it. At that moment, season one, I was like, okay, so you're really evil. I, I get it now. I talked <laughs> about that with my friend after a recent rewatch, because like, in the end, you survive cancer. You might have survived you would have been alive you don't even have the excuse that i'm dying therefore i am committing all these atrocities it's such a great character because when the cancer goes away which it does remember there was a time when he was just completely cancer free for a good chunk of the series he had the option of just walking walking away away, but Mm -hmm. he chose not to he he had already fallen in love with heisenberg Mm -hmm. okay this is my my big theory you know clark kent is the real Superman. Superman is the mask. Batman is the real person. Bruce Wayne is the mask. I think Heisenberg is the real person. Walter White is the mask. And he just had the misfortune of discovering that he was a colossal, lethal, 
narcissistic, evil criminal mastermind at his very core. That is the real mm -hmm. person he always was. Mm -hmm. And that's my favorite. Even though at the start of it, he is an objectively good man. Mm -hmm. This is a man who is working two jobs that he does not like for the good of his family. And he is doing everything society says he should be doing. And he becomes Scarface. You know, that's, and that's my that's favorite, favorite line from this episode. And he surprises Skylar again. And with, man, coordinates on a lottery ticket, Walter White. Ah, oh, just beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and she's, you're going to say you did this. She's like, no, no, no. I liked it. I was good at it. <laughs> that was exactly. such a crucial moment for the audience because yeah. right up until that minute, you had so many of the fans on Team Walter. So many people, right up until he said he did it for himself, were like, no, nah, you know, it's just the world. It keeps throwing him these things and he keeps having to do these things. And you needed that breakthrough. You needed yep. him to tell the audience. No, and that, I'm, that's I'm why I'm, I'm saying man. to you, after yeah. my second rewatch, it was like, it turns out Jesse was the, always the kind character. And he is never, ever, ever nice to him. Like almost mm -hmm. never. Treating him like a partner or a friend. And it's almost unfair that he gets a redemptive arc at the end of this episode with Jesse. So yeah. El Camino is the much better what happens after this, uh, the last yeah. Breaking but Bad. I know. I, yeah, that redemption, uh, some people definitely complained about. Some people, spoiler alert, didn't want him to die. I thought, well, he has to. Yeah. He, he has to. It's just a matter of how. Is it, you know, just shot in the back by some other gang? Or, you know, can he, can he die for a purpose? To, to make some sort of amends for what he has and done. Some of that purpose is his does. personal revenge, by the way. Jesse may just happen to be there. Who knew any... Oh, I love the fake sniper mm. bullets. So cool. Yeah, It's it's not... But yeah, it's not a cut and dry to now that everything is okay. The mm. world is in balance again. Good versus evil. No, no. He's he's still... He's done much more evil than good. But he did that. What, what little thing left he could do? And the last thing I'll say about El Camino... <laughs> <laughs> is are we gonna cover it chris every <laughs> when not it for, come out dude not for years not for another six years all right and and You're it, right but like i wish every show had like a movified finale that you could watch like that and it's Next not just the length. A movie it's not just mm -hmm. the length it's what happens in it because warning flashbacks you will see people and readdress things and it's shot like a movie it's beautiful Looks great. I don't know if they're, Breaking Bad's being re remastered in 4K, but El Camino. Moving on, <laughs> Betrayal debuts on ABC, and my interest is dried up. Betrayal. It's, it's a show. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a drama about infidelity, which sounds like sounds like there shouldn't be a movie. Why are you making this a TV show? I don't, I don't understand. Agreed. And then uh, Masters of Sex debuts on Showtime, which is something I was right. way more interested in. And and this is why we were just talking about how there's like so much television. It's so hard to catch up. This is why I want the writers and actors strikes to go on forever because it's giving me time to catch up on shit. <laughs> this is a show I've always wanted to watch. I like a lot of people involved in it. A lot of my friends are big fans. I didn't have showtime. I was going to go bother. And, and now if it's streaming, I can watch it. I should fucking watch it because it's a very interesting story. Mm -hmm about Masters of Johnson sex research in like the 40s and 50s. Kinsey the movie and, or the show. Yeah. Kinsey the movie was fucking good. Was. I really liked it was. the movie. So movie. if it could be a show, exactly. yes. So I keep meaning to watch it and I keep not. And I know the critics really liked it and it went, I think, four seasons. So I could probably knock that out. Yeah. Everything gotta... you said, Diana. Yeah. Same girl. 
Mm. You, you just, Diana, you just have to find your souls game. Watch it on the side yeah. with your knitting and knitting. You're not no. still doing that. That's right. Well, right now it's just all podcasts because I'm doing a lot of work with my hands, like working on shit around the house. Mm. Like I was talking about with Under the Tuscan Sun. So it's like you can't be too visual. So I've just been doing podcasts and audiobooks. Cool. And then uh, yeah. bigger pivot into Super Fun Night, a one season Rebel Wilson sitcom about yep. girls' night every Friday night. Didn't Woo! You? Didn't see it. The Millers debuts on CBS. That's not confusing at all. What? Given it's 2013, there's a movie called We're the Millers in theaters. It's still, still. in theaters. <laughs> what are you uh, doing? Yeah. I, and I don't know what this is about at all. Like, oh. So a TV reporter in Leesburg, Virginia, her parents decide to divorce and the mother moves in and the father moves in with the sister and her family. Oh. All these sitcoms okay. require people to move I mean, in with each other. It's it's Will Arnett and beloved character actress Margot Martindale and, and Bo Bridges and J.B. Smoove and Gemma Mate. It's got so many great people that are like, I didn't remember this existed. And I feel like a chick. Just a, just a giant dick. Mm. Sorry, um, Millers. Welcome to the Family debuts on ABC as well this night. And bleh. two American families brought together by uh, accidental pregnancy. Oh, I hope they move in together. So there's only one set. Is, yeah, is one uh, Irish family and one waspy family? We just talked about this. Oh. One is a valedictorian <laughs> son of a Latino family, oh. and the other is a non-academic daughter of an Anglo family. Oh, boy. Yep. Will these white people ever learn to... <sighs> House of Versace is a TV movie that's out with Gina Gershon and Rizzo. Colante, Enrico Colante. Apologies Colante. for my verb. Uh, I mean, it's, it's about uh, Donatello Versace taking over the brand after her brother was killed. And I Leonardo? like that. Uh, that's, uh, is, yes. Is that the American crime story? It's no. not, but they told the same story about Gianni Versace's murder. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I like we got Gina Gershon now in two segments doing odd things. See, all right. Okay. And let's move into games September 29th, October 5th. You want to talk about being a free time millionaire. People who play a Trey and Odyssey untold <laughs> or a Trey and Odyssey in general, a endlessly satisfying, look, looks very satisfying. I always appreciate them from afar, but grindy, long RPGs. The Millennium Girl, un untold the Millennium Girl is out for 3DS from a Trey and Odyssey. I know I messed up that title, but holy shit, we got to wrap this up. Painkiller, Hell and Domination for Xbox 360. And to fight that exclusive, we have Rain on PSN. And transport Interesting mechanic. Wow. Uh, oh, yeah. The player and his enemies are only visible if they're standing in the rain. Yeah, Hollow Man style. Ooh. Uh, transport Tycoon is also out for iOS and Android. Eh, it's not a great port. I don't understand why they can't make better ports of pretty simple strategy games from the 90s for yeah, iOS. There's still not a lot of... Enough, there's not enough gesture-based tap-based horseshit to make that satisfying to play and freemium nonsense will always bog down those games and just make them makes me realize what a waste of time they are <laughs> anyway that is about it for the show patreon.com slash laser time give us five bucks how about a show about vacation how about a series about evil dead for halloween how about over 100 podcasts full-length movie commentary etc etc oh yeah but up next we're gonna tell you who died and who uh lived in a quiz you can play along with but also where where can people find diana uh, they can find me on the blue sky and threads at lucine nerd l-e-c-i-n-e-n-e-r-d coming up next week oh yeah 
Yes. We got some good ones. Uh, let's see. We've got Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes are going to get frozen. Yes. Oh, um, better watch it's going to turn out Elvis is not dead. He is in a retirement home with JFK. Oh, I'm going to boil him a picker. a really fun movie about weddings where like there's so much to do like you have to pick out your dress and you have to pick out flowers and you have to have your ex show up with a squad of assassins and kill everybody and then you have to go to japan and kill a bunch of dudes with a sword Mm. weddings i love them yeah and chris look at me i'm the captain now Ah! (laughs) (laughs) fine Uh, take over and if that wasn't enough we also have the funniest rake joke of all time. <laughs> rake. I said rake. <laughs> and we have a phone that can play video games. What? What? Okay. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> and the wolf is going to be among us. Oh. Oh. Oh, that has an interesting update to it. Cool. But with that out of the way, Die, who died during this period of 3022? We lost two authors this week. Uh, in 2003, we lost William Steig, who was 95 years old. He wrote Sylvester and the Magic Pebble and a little thing called Shrek. Wow. It has an exclamation point, so you have to say it that way. Shrek! Shrek! Yeah. Shrek. And then in 2013, we lost Tom Clancy. He was only 66. Wow. Now, wow. to put this into perspective, his first book, The Hunt for Red October, he sold for $5,000. Wow. Oh, what a kick in the pants. He never knew when it was going to go on to be a famous NES game. <laughs> he died worth over $300 million. I was going to say, he might have generated more revenue than almost any other non-J.K. Rowling creator, author. It's, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I can't even, I don't, I can't begin to fathom how many video games have that man's name on them. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. If you haven't read it, I do recommend Googling War Nerd. Tom Clancy. It was a article about Tom Clancy that I've never been able to get out of my mind when thinking about him. Yes, because he, he seemed like he had the interests of a much older man. God, I like missiles. <laughs> Espionage. Yeah, he really liked hardware. Mm. He did really like the, the getting into the nitty gritty of stuff. And he was like, I don't, he wasn't in the military. <laughs> he just, just, just a fan. A dude. Just a fan. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. with the deaths out of the way, what do we have, JR? We have the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. They are no longer with us, mm. but if they were, they would be turning an even one hundred years old. Ooh. Oh, Diana is going to get <laughs> born. It's all the hundred year olds. October. <laughs> born October fourth, nineteen twenty-three in Wilmot, Illinois, to a sawmill operator. He enlisted in World War II, where he was an aerial gunner aboard the B-25 Jimmy Stewart. Medium... No. Damn! Oh, he was a bombardier. I knew. After his rise to fame, he narrated highly classified U.S. Armed Forces films regarding nuclear weapons. And as such, he received... The nation's highest security clearance, a Q clearance, which you cannot get higher than that. Oh, John Hughes. Okay. No. In the 1950s and 60s, he was one of a handful of Hollywood actors to speak openly against racism and supported the civil rights movement. And narrated nuclear? 
Wow. Okay. I'm going to avoid this film from 1956 because it gives it away. This film from 1959 because it gives it away. You might have. You might be giving it away to Diana right now. Oh. Oh. Go ahead. Is it Charlton Heston? It is oh, Charleston yes. Heston. Most picture winner, 1959. That did it, bitch. Yeah. Yep. The Ten Commandments, 1956. Ben-Hur, 1959. Greatest Show on Earth, 52. Secret of the Incas, 54. El Cid, 61. Greatest Story Ever Told, 65. Cartoon, 66. Planet of the Apes. Thank you. Which, what am I wearing on my shirt right now, my co-hosts? <laughs> yeah. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Yes. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. He used to be famous just for being Dr. Zayas. Julius Caesar, Omega Man, Antony and Cleopatra, Soylent Green, Three Musketeers, Airport 75, Earthquake, Crossed Swords, Motherlode, Alaska, and of course, head of the National Rifle Association. God, he marred his whole legacy with shit. This is like the third time I thought about Wayne's World 2 just during this podcast. And Charlton Heston will always remind me, Gordon Street. I remember a girl who lived on Gordon Street. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's such a good cameo. <laughs> I I am stunned to find out that he he narrated super classified movies. That is so weird. And I mean, someone has to do it, but God, that's just weird. I just imagining him like, okay, so. Uh, I'll take this script that can't be photocopied and I'll sit here in this booth and talk about neutron bombs. But then his voice is so crazy distinctive that all the generals are going to be turning to each other and going, wait, is that Charlton Heston? And again, I'm, I don't want to state my reputation on this, but I love hearing stories about Charlton Heston because of how much I love Planet of the Apes and Omega Man and all those movies where he's basically Jesus and dies at the end. He had a really good reputation as a human being until the latter part of his life. And I hate that that defines him because other than I'm sure there's some shitty stuff that went down with a very rich guy in that time. But like, yeah, just, just being a spokesman for such an awful organization at such an awful time. He fought what he believed in, you know, he was standing with the communist and the uh, civil rights movement in the 1950s because he thought it was right. And he just kept doing what was right. Even if it cost him, Fame. He fought That's for Orson Welles. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You can see him. He's on the stage at the Marshall in Washington with behind MLK. Yeah, that was not popular at the time with with white folks. A lot of people were not down with that. Yeah, he, he was a man of conviction. We'll go with that. Donated Even his Planet of the Apes two money to charity. Like uh, didn't want anything to do with it with the money. Good guy up until the end. Live well, become the vi- yeah. live to become the villain. All that blah blah blah. Um, yeah, but also, um, if when the Black Panthers start marching around with guns that uh, he endorses, we started getting gun regulation in California. So I'm he scared might actually now. be a chaos agent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I salute you, Charlton Heston. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Patreon.com slash laser time is how you can support us. Please give us $5 or less, but preferably more or five. We're going to close out with Mr. Jones by Counting Crows. Any reason for that, Dime? I promised it a couple weeks ago, and then I forgot about it. <laughs> and it's not like so, there won't be any more popular I, Counting Crows songs in our show's tenure. So got to hear it at one yeah. point. Again, kind of an odd pop song at the time. Yeah. It's not super rocky. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Take us out, Counting Crows. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.